<laughs> that is one big pile of shit. Now, this could be it. We may be in some multiverse where I don't even exist. Don't knock rationalization. Where would we be without it? Yes, yes. Yes, without the use. To take them, take them out, take them down. Do your, do your stuff. Life uh, finds a way. Hello and welcome to episode 61 of The Complete Works Season 2, a deep dive into the career and films of actor Jeff Goldblum. My name is Mike Smith and joining me on this journey into the wondrous world of Goldblum is my friend, co-host and fellow Goldblumaniac, Mike Tecrecio. How are you doing today, Mike? I'm doing great. I'm super excited uh, to enter... I don't know what we'll come up with a name for this period of Goldblum now, but we're definitely in a new phase, I think. That's what my entire intro is about, Mike, actually. Good. (laughs) It's almost like we've been podcasting together for five years. (laughs) The two headed podcaster. Uh, (laughs) That's what they call us. Uh, Yes. uh, Yes. So we'll be talking about that. In a second, but first, we got to introduce our other guest uh, for the show, uh, the very first guest for uh, the Jeff Goldblum series of this podcast. That's right. Uh, we did have a guest on one of our uh, Nicolas Cage episodes recently, but Nick Wormuth, welcome to uh, Jeff Goldblum, a Complete Works podcast. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm happy to be the first Jeff guest. Yes, absolutely. So, uh, Nick, you're not on necessarily because you're a huge Jeff Goldblum aficionado. You may be. I have no idea. Uh, but... A while back, uh, you were a guest on other on our other podcast, uh, Mike might go to the movies. You've been a guest on there a few times, and we had you do a guest makes Mike watch. We just selected a movie to make us watch, and your original choice I had to turn down <laughs> because <laughs> because Jeff Goldblum was in it, and I was like, well, no, we we, we can't do an episode on that now. We're going to do an episode of it here on this podcast. So we instead talked about Lake Mungo then, but you wanted to talk about the Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou, uh, the Wes Anderson movie from two thousand four. And I was like, okay, well, now I know the interest is there. <laughs> so when we get to it on the Goldblum podcast, you had to be the guy, right? Yeah, I, this is why I don't host the podcast. I just guess on them because uh, clearly I don't know what I'm doing. Um, but <laughs> again, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have myself on here, even if it is, uh, how long ago was Lake Mungo at this point? Probably like mm. eight or nine months. <laughs> but, I, I want to say it was like back in like March or February or something like that. It was a while ago. Yeah. Uh, a, su- a surprisingly long amount of time has elapsed between you appearing on the podcast, which is weird. But hopefully you'll be on again relatively soon. We did promise you that you would be on our No Time to Die episode whenever that happens. And No Time to Die will be out in theaters. Mike D probably won't see it until a little bit after it hits theaters because he's still not going back yet. So whenever Mike gets to see it, We'll all get together and talk about No Time to Die. Does that sound good? That sounds good. I can record it on my phone if you want. <laughs> <laughs> whatever works. Whatever okay. works. Uh, we, we can do like our own bonus episode or whatever happens. But uh, And we'll probably have you on for the uh, if you're available for our big like end of the year podcast thing for whatever the big blockbuster movie is. Probably The Matrix 4. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be wild. But we're not talking about any of, the, any of that today. Today we're talking about a new phase in the career of Jeff Goldblum. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> a killer segue. Uh, so, yeah, for the last few months, we've been talking about kind of Jeff Goldblum's whatever phase uh, where he made a shitload of movies in the early 2000s that were a mix of quick cameos, supporting roles and in eccentric indie movies, a couple of TV movies and uh, cats and dogs. Right. That's the mix. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Uh, and there's still going to be a lot of that in the years to come for Goldblum. But I think this movie is the one that really starts to, like, lock his career into focus. Like when Jeff Goldblum's in a movie, this is the example we should look to as to how to use Jeff Goldblum. Is that fair to say, Mike? 
Yeah, yeah, I think this will definitely be the touchstone going forward. Yes, absolutely. And Nick, how familiar are you with the career of Jeff Goldblum going into this Jeff Goldblum podcast? Um, I mean, I'd seen him in a lot of the Altman stuff and obviously like Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Uh, I <laughs> didn't remember that he was in Cats and Dogs until you guys came out with an episode for it. Um, so <laughs> thanks, thanks to your podcast feed, I guess I'm getting more enlightened. Um, but yeah, <laughs> movies like this where it's it, usually he's never been the star of anything that I've ever sought out. So it's nice to see him just show up in a big ensemble cast. I can't even say that I even knew he was in this movie before I saw it for the first time, because not to get ahead of anything, I think this is the first Wes Anderson movie he was in, and he's been in almost all of them since then. So I don't know. It was the beginning of a nice partnership. So, yeah. So uh, we're going to start we're going to start today, actually, by talking about the career of Wes Anderson, Nick. So once again, thank you for setting up a perfect segue. Uh, (laughs) So today, Wes Anderson, I think one of the most recognizable modern filmmakers, a very distinct visual style uh, that is often replicated, never fully realized unless he himself is behind the camera. Like it's it's a weirdly, like it's an often imitated style, but one that's never feels right unless Wes Anderson is doing it. Major facet of pop culture, which is a pretty incredible feat when you think about the kinds of movies that he makes, which are mostly dry comedy twins with melancholy. That's like the... (laughs) (laughs) The Wes Anderson brand. Uh, So it's weird that like Wes Anderson kind of became a household name director. But the movie we're talking about today at the time represented kind of a low point for Wes Anderson. Uh, He burst onto the scene in 1996 with his debut feature Bottle Rocket, uh, which highly recommend listening to uh, the Polly Platt season of You Must Remember This uh, to learn more about how that movie got made. That's one of like the last things she was involved with. It's really great. It's a movie that nobody at the time saw, but uh, people in the industry loved it. And uh, they wanted to make Wes Anderson get a shot at something bigger. And from there, he was only going up. His next film, Rushmore, critical and financial success. The one after that, The Royal Tenenbaums, uh, an even bigger success, putting him more into the mainstream and getting him an Oscar nomination for Best Original Screenplay. And then Wes Anderson set forth to make his biggest movie yet. And it totally flopped at the box office and got (laughs) mixed reviews. (laughs) Nice. Uh, but it did have Jeff Goldblum in it, so now it's time to talk about The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Supposedly, Cousteau and his cronies invented the idea of putting walkie-talkies into the helmet. But we made ours with a special rabbit ear on the top so we could pipe in some music. The Belafonte, home to Team Zizou. Skilled crew of deep sea divers, adventurers, documentary filmmakers. Action! Led by internationally renowned oceanographer Captain Steve Sisu, expert on every aspect of marine life. Swamp leeches, everybody! Check for swamp leeches! Nobody else got hit? I'm the only one? What's the deal? But there remains one form of life about which Captain Sisu knows very little. You're supposed to be my son, right? I want you on Team Sisu. The answer is yes. Well, it's got to be. I'll order you a red cap and a speedo. Oh! This will be Team Sisu's most ambitious adventure to date. I'm going to go on an overnight drunk, and in 10 days, I'm going to set out to find the shark that ate my friend and destroy it. What would be the scientific purpose of killing it? Revenge. You must swear, legally swear, that you won't kill that shark. Split into two groups. I'll take Ned, Ogata, and Wolodarski. Thanks. Thanks a lot for not picking me. We're being led on an illegal suicide mission. I'm gonna fight you, Steve. 
You never say, I'm going to fight you, Steve. You just smile and act natural, and then you sucker punch him. Are you finding what you were looking for out here with me? I hope so. Quiet out there tonight. Can you hear the jack whales singing? Beautiful. I wonder what they're saying. Well, that was the sludge tanker over there, but there you go. Now, Wes Anderson uh, co-wrote his first three films with his writing partner, Owen Wilson. Uh, But at this point, Owen Wilson was becoming a bigger star in Hollywood and didn't really have time to write the screenplay for Life Aquatic. I mean, hey, Behind Enemy Lines isn't going to make itself, right, Mike? (laughs) That's right. Somebody's got a star in it. (laughs) We just talked about that movie recently uh, on the other podcast, Mike and Mike Go to the Movies, if you want to go check that out. Uh, So this time, Wes Anderson ended up collaborating with another indie filmmaker with similar sensibilities who came up around the same time he did. Uh, That would be Noah Baumbach, uh, known at the time for 95's Kicking and Screaming and 97's Mr. Jealousy. Uh, The next year, Wes Anderson would actually produce Noah Baumbach's next movie, The Squid and the Whale, uh, which would kind of jumpstart Noah Baumbach's career back in earnest uh, in a big way. Uh, So The Life Aquatic is inspired by the adventures of Jacques Cousteau and pays homage to his life. Uh, The credits end with a dedication to him, although they also make it very clear that the Cousteau Society was in no way involved in the making of this movie, (laughs) Uh, which is pretty funny. But uh, Bill Murray, who has appeared in almost every Wes Anderson movie, takes on the lead role as Steve Zizou, uh, while Jeff Goldblum plays his nemesis, Alastair Hennessy, another explorer with uh, much more corporate sponsorship and success, just like Carrie Elway's and Twister, right, Mike? <laughs> That's right. He's not in it for the science. He's in it for the money. <laughs> or does I say uh, that backwards? I don't remember. Uh, yeah, I think, yeah, he's in it for the money, not the science. That's the line. That's, That's the line. <laughs> um, and uh, if you'll recall, uh, Bill Murray and Jeff Goldblum uh, have actually been in a movie together, Mike. Do you remember which one? Oh, oh, I can remember he's in a bar. Bill Murray's uncredited in the background of a bar. And I don't remember what movie that is. You you are correct. You're you're right there. You've got it, Mike. Is it uh, Next Stop Greenwich Village? Yes, you're Boom. right. Got <laughs> yeah. it. Next Stop Greenwich Village, which I believe is Bill Murray's first film role. Like he's uncredited right. and like in the background of the scene. But he is in there. Uh, the first like on screen appearance of Bill Murray outside of like SNL. Uh, so there you go. Goldblum reunion right there between uh, Jeff Goldblum and Bill Murray, which Jeff Goldblum's in two more Wes Anderson movies after this. Uh, so eventually Bill Murray wow. will join the four peak club of Goldblum reunions. Wow. Rarified territory there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, now, Owen Wilson appears in the movie as a uh, Ned Plimpton, a pilot who sneaks out Steve Zizou and reveals himself to be a son. Kate Blanchett, at this point, best known for Lord of the Rings and the Aviator, uh, plays Jane Winslet Richardson, a reporter on the voyage who begins a relationship with Ned. Uh, Angelica Houston plays Eleanor, Steve's wife. She was also in uh, Royal Tenenbaums and The Player, which makes it another Goldblum reunion right there. That's right. Uh, barely because the player had like 50 people playing themselves in various different <laughs> parts of the movie, but still <laughs> Willem Dafoe plays Klaus who is calm, collected and German. Those are his three traits and he's great at it. <laughs> um, Michael Gambon, the same year he takes over as Dumbledore in the Harry Potter movies, uh, plays Osiri Draculius, who's funding Steve's voyage. Bud Court from Harold and Maude and Brewster McLeod plays Bill Ubel, the Bond company stooge. Uh, Noah Taylor from the Lara Croft movies in game of Thrones plays Vladimir Walidarsky. 
I think it's pronounced Sui Jorge, uh, the Brazilian singer. Uh, he spends most of the movie singing David Bowie songs in Portuguese. Uh, he plays Pele dos Santos. Robin Cohen plays Anne-Marie Sakowitz, uh, and she's mostly an L.A. theater actress, but she also acted with Jeff Goldblum in a play called The Exonerated, and uh, actually she and Goldblum taught an acting class together uh, in a college in L.A. So wow. Kind of cool, kind of cool thing. She's In the movie, she's the one on the team who's, like, mutinying against Steve at first. Like, she's the one who was, like, leading the charge to mutiny against Steve Zizu. Got it. Yes, that's the one. Uh, so from there, uh, Juarez Alualia, who also appears in the Darjeeling Limited and the Grand Budapest Hotel, plays Vikram Ray. Uh, Matthew Greg Goobler from Criminal Minds pops up in his film debut as Nico, the only intern who stays in the shift. NYU professor Antonio Manda appears as himself. And Seymour Cassell, who appeared in many John Cassavetes movies and a few Wes Anderson movies, too, plays Esteban, Steve's partner who was killed at the beginning of the movie. Uh, he's also in a couple of Nicolas Cage movies, too. He's in Honeymoon in Vegas and It Could Happen to You. Right. I was like, that name sounds very familiar. There you go. That's the reason. Uh, so The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou was a box office flop upon release. It cost $50 million to make the largest budget Anderson had ever worked with at the time, and it ended up making around $34 million. Uh, so part of that may have been due to its release date, uh, the film opened first in extremely limited release before going wide on Christmas Day 2004. <laughs> I think this movie's blend, very specific blend of sadness may not have been a prime holiday season effort to take the family to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that weekend, The Life Aquatic took ninth place at the box office. Uh, and a reminder that this is a touchstone picture, which means it's a Disney movie. Right. Weird, right? <laughs> like, remember when Disney made movies like this? It's odd. <laughs> odd to think about. Uh, so if you weren't watching it that weekend, uh, maybe you were seeing the movie that opens number one that weekend, which was a different Owen Wilson joint. Uh, anyone want to take a crack at what that was? Christmas Day 2004? Starsky and Hutch. A good guess. Right. I think the correct year, but incorrect movie. Uh, I can't even think of anything now. <laughs> Uh, the answer is Meet the Fockers. Meet the Fockers. Was uh, uh, yeah. So Owen Wilson's not a main character in that movie, but he is in it. He is in it. Also opening that weekend was Fat Albert with Keenan Thompson in the lead role. If anybody remembers wow. that one. And Bill Cosby. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's yeah. favorite. Uh, <laughs> Darkness, a horror film starring Anna Paquin and uh, Joel Schumacher's version of The Phantom of the Opera came out this weekend, too, with Gerard Butler. Also in the top 10 that weekend were a series of unfortunate events, The Aviator, Ocean's 12, The Polar Express and Spanglish. And uh, because I have to make a note of it, number 11, National Treasure with Nicolas Cage. <laughs> <laughs> what a banner weekend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm, I mean, you, you say it almost every time I, I threw a box office thing for like an older year, Mike, but you, I would watch all those movies. Uh, <laughs> I watch yeah. every single one of these. Maybe not Fat Albert, but the rest of them, sure. <laughs> uh, the IMDb plot synopsis for The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou reads... With a plan to exact revenge on a mythical shark that killed his partner, oceanographer Steve Zizou rallies a crew that includes his estranged wife, a journalist, and a man who may or may not be his son. So, Mike D., normally I start with you, uh, talk about the overall thoughts of the movie, but since Nick is the guest here, uh, Nick, first let's get into your history with The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. You think this is the very first Wes Anderson movie you ever saw? I know the first one I saw was Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, okay. I think mostly due to an age thing. When this movie came out, I was nine, so... <laughs> I was more than likely seeing Fat Albert opening day than seeing this one. Um, yeah. But yeah, Fantastic Mr. Fox. I saw that one. I was enamored by the stop motion animation and just the total whimsy of it. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, well, let me see what else he's done. 
the local library had a very scratched version of the Royal Tenenbaum, so I didn't finish that until about last year. Uh, <laughs> and uh, after that, I sought out Life Aquatic. And since then, I know this is a very controversial take, but it's probably my favorite Wes Anderson movie just because it feels like it's taking the most risks of all of them, uh, specifically in shooting. And <laughs> uh, yeah, never film a movie on water. Jaws taught us that, and so did Popeye. <laughs> Um, (laughs) but yeah, I just overall, I think this is just a masterful piece of nonsense work. Like, I don't know it, the the way it like floods between like reality and stop motion and everything like that. It's just really fun movie to watch. And I feel like it just has all these layers that are probably missed, uh, back in 2004, but upon subsequent rewatches, I love this movie. Yeah, nice. I mean, yeah, like for whatever reason, this movie completely flopped at the box office, which I get why it didn't do out well the box office, but I'm surprised by the critical reaction of it, I guess. Yeah. Um, you know, and because it has like a 56 in Rotten Tomatoes, you know, which holds from 2004 or something like that compared to a lot of other Wes Anderson movies. And this kind of represents a the slump in the Wes Anderson career because, I mean, you know, his first three movies, it's Bottle Rocket, Rushmore, Royal Tenenbaums, it's all, like, uphill. Like, it's, you know, how far can he go? And then it's this movie and the Darjeeling Limited are the ones that are kind of seen as, like, the ones that weren't very good, right? And uh, th- those are kind of, like, th- those what those are considered as. Uh, and they're all, that's also the reason why I didn't see either of those two movies until about two years ago. And I'm a huge Wes Anderson fan. Like, I, I also... Fantastic Mr. Fox was also the first one that I saw. Okay. <laughs> and I saw that in theaters and fell in love with it. And it's still my favorite Wes Anderson movie. I love Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, and then I think the uh, the run from there of Fantastic Mr. Fox and then Moonrise Kingdom and then Grand Budapest Hotel, that's like three back-to-back masterpieces in a row. <laughs> and it's yeah. uh, an, an almost unparalleled run of movies, I think, those three right there uh, in terms of modern directors and filmmakers. Uh, and then most recently he did Isle of Dogs, which was pretty good. I, I enjoyed Isle of Dogs. I think like most Wes Anderson movies, I will probably like it more the second time I see it, which tends to be the case for a lot of his movies. But... This represented like the weird nadir in his career where it's like, ah, has Wes Anderson lost it? And in fact, now Life Aquatic has gained a lot more like cultural respect in the almost 20 years since its release. Like I've seen a lot more reappraisals of this movie and stuff like that. The Darjeeling Limited, I've also seen that too, to a limited degree. I think partially because of uh, how much the Criterion Collection has backed Wes Anderson and like every movie that he makes eventually gets released (laughs) by Criterion in some way. I was a dumbass and bought uh, the Grand Budapest Hotel for $5 on Blu-ray and then like a a month later they announced that it was coming to Criterion. I was like, God damn it. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But uh, Mike D, what are your overall thoughts on The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou? You had seen this movie before. Yes. Uh, and so you had seen it at least once or twice before and uh, are rewatching it this weekend, right? Yes. Yeah, correct. I, I mean, uh, for, I don't remember what my first one Wes Anderson movie was. Uh, it's probably Fantastic Mr. Fox because we're all in the same age range, like Nick said. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I had definitely seen Life Aquatic before, and I, I am just such a sucker for the like Wes Anderson aesthetic charm, whatever you want to call it. It's just so homey and fun to be in this weird movie. And the whole thing is just like the absolute artifice of all of his movies. Like they're all so aware of what's going on. Like, you know, not not that they're like, you know, Deadpool, like not that kind of meta. But right. this was about, a, you know, Life Aquatic is about a, people making documentary films and we're constantly holding boom mics in frame and, you know, the cameraman's in frame and stuff like that. Uh, so like it's just kind of aware of the filmmaking artifice. Uh, and I feel like that kind of carries through. In at least the movies after this, I haven't actually seen Rushmore and Royal Tenenbaum, so I don't know how present that kind of stuff is in the, those first two movies. But it kind of feels like after Life Aquatic, it feels like it kind of solidifies the 
popular conception of the you know, like Wes Anderson style. Like there's the moments in this where Bill Murray and Owen Wilson are like reading the letters they have written to each other. And all I can think about is that SNL skit with the, like the midnight Cotieri or whatever murderers or whatever it is yes. when it's like dear invaders, uh, you know, like that kind yeah. of thing. Can we kill you? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, yeah. Like it just was like, oh, that this is where that comes from. Uh, like the kind of the, the memes around Wes Anderson, quote unquote. But yeah, overall, this movie is a lot of fun. It's got this delightful charm on top of, like Mike said, mixed with this profound sa- emptiness and sadness. Um, except the only thing that I didn't remember from when I watched it the first time is just the rampant casual homophobia that picks up the, the third act, I feel like, is just like all about that. And I was like, why are we keep making this joke over and over and over and over again? Because <laughs> uh, it happens once or twice in the beginning. And I'm like, weird. It was a different time then. It was 2004. You know, like that lame excuse. But then it just keeps coming up. And I was like, oh, this feels weird now. So, yeah, that's my only critique of the movie, I guess. Uh, but otherwise, what, what, a, what a fun little romp, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, to that, I would say, I mean, I think the movie takes great pains to like, Makes Steve Zizou like a very unlikable character, like yeah. as, as unlikable as like Bill Murray can be, you know, like like it right. really I think it's a really incredible performance from Bill Murray because I don't think he's ever been this unlikable on screen before. Like and he has like an inherent likability to him yeah. uh, and he's playing somebody who is somewhat bigoted and somewhat homophobic and stuff. And like this movie itself is about him learning to grow in like the smallest of ways, like just these. <laughs> These like incredibly small, like there is that homophobia throughout the movie, but then there's that moment towards the end between him and Goldblum. Yeah. Uh, where, you know, Goldblum, you know, throughout the entire movie, uh, Bill Murray has been saying, you know, uh, he's, he's gay. You know, I always suspect he was a closeted queer, whatever is uh, a line that he has. And then right. like towards the end, uh, you know, they're talking about uh, their relationship with Eleanor and Goldblum says like, well, I mean, you know, we were both terrible husbands to her. I mean, I have an excuse. I'm part gay. And, <laughs> and Bill Murray, instead of making like a joke about it or something is like, well, supposedly everyone is. And then they have like a moment of like genuine emotional connection and they hug. Yeah. <laughs> and, and it's like, a gen- it's a genuinely beautiful moment. I think it's really good. Yeah. I don't know. It's just one of those things. Like I, I get that it's yes, I, I agree that it's like definitely being used as a way to show how bad he is, but it's like, we can find other ways to do that, you know? Um, but I guess that's the, that's the looking at the, the, the world now in 2021 where we're enlightened right. about that kind of shit, um, <laughs> which is pathetic. But um, <laughs> I forget what else I was going to say. So I'll just end there. All right. Fair enough. Uh, well, like I said, these are uh, this and Darjeeling Limited were the two Wes Anderson movies that I had not seen. They were on my radar. I wanted to watch them, but their, their reputation was always that they were the bad ones. So I never made it my priority. It was kind of like with the Coen brothers for a long time. I had not seen Intolerable Cruelty or The Lady Killers because they was like, well, those are the two bad Coen Brothers movies. Why would I watch them? Like when I like I'll get around to them eventually, but like they're not on my top of my list. And then eventually I watched them and they were both pretty good. You know, they're they're not bad. Uh, And that was kind of the same thing that I had with this. Uh, The Roxy Theater, uh, which is the Indian Theater in my house in Missoula, Montana, um, back in 2019, they did a Wes Anderson series where they showed every movie Wes Anderson had ever made over the course of two months. Uh, So I got to rewatch some favorites like Rushmore and Moonrise Kingdom. But I also took that opportunity to finally see Life Aquatic and Darjeeling Limited, Uh, which, by the way, with Darjeeling, I also played the uh, the short film that goes along with it, Hotel Chevalier, which definitely fills in a lot of the movie. Like, it's weird that that's like a separate thing besides (laughs) besides the movie. But uh, definitely recommend watching that if you haven't seen that. But yeah, I was pretty blown away by Life Aquatic. The first time I watched it, I was like, yeah, this is pretty good. Uh, Like, I I really enjoyed it. And like, by the end, I was like really into it. Like, especially, I mean, you get to the end credits walk and it just feels like so triumphant. It's so great. Yeah. And then this time around, I watched it again and I was like, yeah, this is basically a masterpiece. This is really good. How, how do people sleep on this when it came out? And there's something about just like the tone of a Wes 
Anderson movie that really hits me. I think like you were saying, Mike, I mean, it's just that combination of absurd comedy that's also very dry. It's the uh, the melancholy feeling that all of his movies tend to emanate. Like they're all various, even Fast Mr. Fox is like this extent, existential rumination on man's animal nature uh, that ends <laughs> with the promise that the happy ending is fleeting and because they'll soon be chased down once again kind of thing. Like that's how Fantastic Mr. Fox ends. So on a surface, it's like a happy ending. And then at the, like once you dig into it, it's like, oh man, it's going to be bad for these characters like the next day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's the graduate ending for children's movies. <laughs> kind of, yeah. Uh, and I think The Life Aquatic might be Wes Anderson's saddest movie. And uh, I'm not sure how you would quantify that. Um, but I think a lot of that is in Bill Murray's performance. And I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's Wes Anderson teaming up with Noah Baumbach, who has a very similar melancholy streak that kind of goes through his movies, too. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I was definitely shocked. I did not know that of uh, the end credit that it comes up with, you know, written by <laughs> Wes Anderson and Noah Baumbach. And yep. I was like, what? <laughs> like uh, alone to my house in my house. Like, can you you, you see in this? Um <laughs> Uh, so that was exciting too. And I remember the other thing I was going to talk about before, or at least mention that this is, I guess, you know, Oh four is maybe the beginning of the like Bill Murray memeiness stuff of like, you know, he, the random sightings where he would be like, Oh, you're not, no, no one's going to believe you. And right. like all those stories. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's like, yeah, it's, it's interesting that this is kind of, you know, two quirky, weird dudes catapulting each other. Also with Noah Baumbach too, that like the next movie that he makes kind of catapults him yeah. also. So it's like a little little weird synergy stuff going on. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think the Wes Anderson-Bill Murray partnership is what launches Bill Murray into the next phase of his career, too. Because Bill Murray shows up in Rushmore. And, you know, he's in Rushmore. He's in Royal Tenenbaums. uh, And he's in in every Wes Anderson movie post-Rushmore. He's not in Bottle Rocket. He's in everything else. Like, even Darjeeling Limited, he makes, like, a cameo as, like, the guy, like, chasing the train or something. You know, he's he's like, you know, the John Ratzenberger for Pixar movies, but for Wes Anderson (laughs) (laughs) kind of thing, you know? That's Bill Murray's role in a Wes Anderson thing. He's in everything. And, you know, Bill Murray is somebody who in the 80s and 90s, he was like one of the biggest comedy stars in the world. He was Ghostbusters. And what about Bob and Groundhog Day and all these movies? I don't know why What About Bob was like the second one that I thought of. But yeah, interesting choice. It's a really good movie. If you haven't seen What About Bob, it's really funny. Scrooged and everything. But but anyway, (laughs) he was, you know, a major comedy star uh, in the 80s and 90s. And then. Back half of the 90s, he starts to kind of transition into, uh, you know, more dramatic territory and uh, be kind of more into the independent film scene. Uh, And, you know, his reputation now is basically like Bill Murray won't like doesn't answer his phone and only like, you know, talks, speaks to close contacts. It's very difficult to get Bill Murray to appear in your movie. That's kind of like the reputation of it. But Wes Anderson always does it because they just seem to be good friends. And it was like around this time that Bill Murray appeared in lost in translation also. So, uh, yeah, yeah it was like the, the new phase of Bill Murray kind of be, was beginning right around here. I think they said in the, cause I watched this with com- commentary last night on the criterion Blu-ray. They said that during like the filming of like the last few scenes, like the assault within that hotel, there's a lot of scenes without Bill Murray and it's just action because he was at the Golden Globes accepting his win for Lost in Translation. Ah, so I feel like nice. this is yeah exactly when his career transitioned back into, oh, okay, he's kind of really good in like these adult dramas and has a second wind kind of. so Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and I mean, some more of the behind the scenes stuff. Nick, like you said, I mean, this was shot on the water and that's a crazy person thing to do, correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, well, at least uh, as someone who has... <laughs> seen Jaws 200 times and all the documentaries behind the scenes filming on water from what I understand is the worst possible thing to do. Um, (laughs) Even in the commentary track for this, again, they brought up that you can't 
drop a gun in the ocean because you immediately get fined and then arrested and you can like serve like two years in jail. And at one point, Bill Murray throws a gun in the water, but it's a rubber gun. But right beforehand, he had knocked a guy into the water and they actually dropped a gun to the bottom. So then helicopters showed up and had to dive down and they had to halt filming for like 16 hours while scuba divers looked through the water to pick up this gun to then come back up. Wow. And it was just like, yeah, I didn't see any of that coming when I decided to make this uh, neat little ocean movie. Uh, and he was like, yeah, after that, a lot of times I did uh, dry for wet, which was like when you put like smoke machines and like have people walk around right. in like light rooms or just film in a pool. So aside from the exteriors and everything, like he was just like, I learned my lesson from this and this is why I stepped back from it. So. <laughs> and that is totally fair. Uh, we should mention, by the way, because uh, we didn't talk about this up top, but uh, you really went all out for this podcast in terms of the appearance. And obviously this is a visual medium. Uh, we have the light aquatic <laughs> background going on right now. Uh, yes, the Belafonte, the, Belafonte. Uh, the diagram of the whole ship, which is great. You're wearing the red beanie and you got the, uh, the blue sweater going on right now. You look like you could be on the ship. Uh, as of this moment, if dreams come true, maybe one yeah. day I will. Be. <laughs> I did pitch. Uh, it was actually last year I pitched this uh, to my girlfriend uh, that we could dress as Life Aquatic characters for Halloween. Like I could dye my beard white and be Bill Murray and Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. And I think that would be great. Uh, she was not on board. She did not care for the costume. <laughs> Damn. Uh, and that was uh, that was a bummer. I'm st- I was I'm pitching again this year. I don't think it's going to fly. <laughs> Uh, I actually tried to get her to watch Life Aquatic with me, and she took a nap instead. Uh, so, <laughs> uh, for the entire two for the entire two hours, I started the movie, and then when it ended, she woke up. It was actually pretty perfect timing. Um, wow! But, uh, a couple other things I wanted to shout out real quick, and I, I I remember seeing this when I first saw the movie, but I was like, I guess I had forgotten it, and was newly surprised when I saw the end credits of the movie and saw that the animation was done by Henry Selick, who Henry Selick uh, is a Great stop-motion filmmaker, director of The Nightmare Before Christmas, also the director of Coraline, and uh, has been trying to get a movie off the ground for the last, like, 10 years, and I think it's finally happening, I think, on Netflix. Uh, So that's cool, but, uh, yeah, he did the animation, like, all the stop-motion creatures that you see in this movie, all from the director of Nightmare Before Christmas, which is kind of a cool thing. Wow. I had no idea. That's awesome. Did he go on to work in, like, Fantastic Mr. Fox or Isle of Dogs or anything, or was that a separate... I don't think he did because uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox was 09 and uh, he was working on Coraline at that time. Coraline also came out in 2009, okay. uh, which was the debut film from Leica. And I think he was wor- like the movie that he was making was also going to be another Leica movie. Uh, so post Coraline, he was doing something with Leica and then that was going on for years and years and they kept saying it was going to happen. And then, you know, nothing ever happened. Uh, and stop motion is an incredibly difficult thing to do anyway, yeah. <laughs> you know? So I, it is one of those things that I think it just never really came to be, but I'm pretty sure he's working on something for Netflix right now. Uh, and I don't know exactly what, but I think he is. So who knows? Maybe in a few years we'll find out what's what's going on there. But kind of a cool thing that he did the stop motion animation for this movie. And, uh, you know, just the weird finesse. Because it's all like fictional creatures that they're showing in this movie, too. It's all like made up yeah. stuff. And it's like just weirder than life kind of things. Like that like multicolored seahorse you see at the beginning is like, huh, this is pretty strange. Like this is a weird little thing. And, you know, they have these like, you know, they're, they're creatures that like aren't like so fantastical that they couldn't actually exist but just exists like outside the realm of reality, you know? Yeah. The one that that like delighted me the most, I think is towards the end where he's like, Oh, I tied a, uh, a rhinestone yellow fin to the back of the submarine. And then it's just like, it's just a tuna, but it's rhinestone. I'm like, that's delightful. Like, I don't know. Like, why is that so cute? I don't know. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, and then also wanted to mention uh, Wes Anderson, also a filmmaker who is known for his soundtrack curation, 
And, you know, especially in like Royal Tenenbaums and Rushmore, those are really big, like popular movie soundtracks. And uh, this is this is a really interesting movie soundtrack, I think, because it is like 90 percent David Bowie songs, most of them in Portuguese, uh, done <laughs> sung yeah. by uh, Sway George. And uh, it is such a fun, creative choice. And like it's kind of it kind of punctuates different scenes in the movie. Like that's how they use that transition into new scenes as they have. Sway George, like it's like singing with his acoustic guitar, like a different David Bowie song, uh, but in Portuguese. And uh, it's pretty great. There's a couple of other like bands kind of spread throughout. Like there's an Iggy and the Stooges song, Search and Destroy, which is really incredibly used during the gunfight sequence on the ship. That's great. But yeah, it's mostly David Bowie stuff. And, uh, you know, I think that adds to the charm of the movie because who doesn't love David Bowie? It's it's great. Yeah, but it's David Bowie in Portuguese because it's a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a, a little bit quirkier. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's um, David Bowie but in yes, Tweed. Absolutely. So we should talk about Jeff Goldblum because he is in this movie. Uh, <laughs> Jeff Goldblum is yeah. in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Uh, now, Nick, this is Jeff Goldblum's very first collaboration with uh, Wes Anderson. And like you mentioned, he's in a few more uh, Wes Anderson movies after this. He appears in Grand Budapest Hotel and Isle of Dogs. Uh, but what did you think of Jeff Goldblum in this movie? Uh, you know, his role as Alistair Hennessy and what it kind of represents uh, for his collaboration with Wes, with Wes Anderson. Um, I, I mean, he's just charming as hell. Like even when he just first walks in in his debonair tuxedo, just kind of yeah, winning everyone over immediately. And Steve's got to reluctantly be in this photo op with him. Like he's just, he reeks opulence. And I just adore that about him. And anyone who gets to say the phrase, some crooked fuckers stole all my stuff twice during a movie. That's just an absolute <laughs> win. Um, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not surprised Wes continued to put him in all of his ensemble movies. Cause yeah, you add a little spice of gold bloom and your movie's just going to win. So. Yes. And uh, that's kind of what we've talked about a lot on this podcast. How gold bloom is somebody who is, is, is a weird case where he should be a character side actor guy, right? He's somebody who works best in the ensemble of a movie, like being like the seventh character who gets to pop as a result of that. And he had a weird period where he was the lead of a lot of movies. <laughs> You know, he was like an unlikely blockbuster star post Jurassic Park. He was the star of Independence Day right after that. And the second Jurassic Park movie was all centered around Jeff Goldblum and all that kind of stuff. But he tends to work best when, like in the original Jurassic Park, he's not the main character. He's on the side. He's kind of, you know, being a weird, the side character who doesn't have to like carry the entire movie on his own. And that allows him to kind of shine a little bit more. So, yeah, I think uh, Wes Anderson kind of uses him perfectly in all three of his movies. Mike D, what are your thoughts of Jeff Goldblum in The Life Aquatic with Steve Zissou? Yeah, I feel like this is kind of, uh, like I said, you know, this is where the, the new phase begins, even though it's kind of the same thing. He's been this other, you know, ensemble member guy in a lot of the, like, whatever movies that we've been watching up till now. But this, I feel like, is kind of where he cements the, like, he'll be in three scenes and steal the movie, and it's like an indie darling movie also, like, kind of thing. Uh, and this is kind of just, I feel like, I mean, I don't really know. We'll find out, I guess, as we watch more of these movies. But it feels like, it, at least in pop culture, like, popular awareness, like, this is what he does till now right. like this is what he is in in guardians of the galaxy it's the same it's the same thing thor ragnarok that's what i meant thor ragnarok yep. uh yeah um he does he does appear in the end credits of guardians too though. What, you're right that's what yeah he dances in uh, a little bubble and has the exactly <laughs> same same thing as life aquatic with steve's <laughs> um but yeah he's he's uh, like you know uh, delightful um like nick said when he first shows up and he's you know he's like uh you know, you're, you're going to go catch that uh, leopard fish. And it's just like just to get it just just a little bit wrong from Jaguar Shark is 
Like, what a dick. You know, what a dick. Like, just twist the knife. Uh, you know? And just every time he shows up, he's also, like, a secret villain, sort of, but then gets redeemed by the end. Uh, uh, so I guess. I don't really know. Yeah, I guess when that moment, like you mentioned before, where they hug, uh, you know, they kind of have this emotional arc they go through their relationship. But also just what a scumbag making, you know, Steve Zizou has to have to sign the invoice before they'll before they'll tow him <laughs> with his dead ship. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, well, he's in it for the money, not the science. Mike. Mm-hmm. That's right. He's in it for the money, not the science. Um, but yeah, he's he's a lot of he's a lot of fun in this movie. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he is a ton of fun as a Alistair Hennessy. Uh, and like I said, I think this movie has just a perfect understanding of how to use Goldblum the best because he always shines when he's bouncing off of other people. Uh, I do think Willem Dafoe is probably my favorite supporting character in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah. Who is just so great. And he's another actor like Goldblum who I think just kind of is in everything. Uh, and I, I just... like I feel like I see I see him in so many things. Like I, I get in like an unexpected dose of Dafoe like one out of every ten times that I go to the theater, you know? <laughs> like... And it's always a delight. I, I saw him this past weekend in uh, The Card Counter, uh, which is the new Paul Schrader movie. And I shouldn't have been surprised because Willem Dafoe was in a lot of Paul Schrader movies. But I was still yeah. like, I didn't know he was in the movie. And then he popped up and was like, Dafoe, he's here. <laughs> uh, so that was cool. He had, he, Willem Dafoe has one of my favorite moments that's just so sad, but also absolutely hilarious. <laughs> Uh, when he's out of focus in the background of one of the shots, um, when uh, Owen Wilson is trying to like buck up Steve Zizou, right, Bill Murray, and he's trying to do the like go team hand hands in the middle thing, yep. and Klaus is just in the background down the hallway, and he does it by himself. He puts his hand out and then goes like puts his hand up when they do it because he feels left out. And I was just hysterically laughing at that. <laughs> that's so good. That's, that's so good. I don't think I even noticed that. That's there's, <laughs> it's wonderful. There's, there's so many like great, just like background details that happen in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's the case for a lot of Wes Anderson things, but it just, it's, it's very prevalent here. This is an incredibly detail oriented movie. You know, I, I think, you know, Fantastic Mr. Fox almost feels like, like what a Wes Anderson movie like strives to be. And I think that's because it's completely animated so he can do whatever he wants, like with his little diorama characters. Like I think yeah. post Royal Tenenbaums, every movie Wes Anderson has made is him trying to create a diorama in real life, you know, yes. <laughs> like just using actual human beings in his little diorama creations. Uh, and so when he does like, an animated movie like Fast Mr. Fox or Isle of Dogs, he has like that freedom to do whatever he wants. Um, but he gets a lot of mileage out of that in his live action movies. Like they feel like actual diorama boxes that all these characters are just like inside. You know, well, even when they show you the cross section of the boat, you're getting that. That's exactly. oh, yeah. Most. Yeah. yeah. So it's he, he even. Yeah. Even nonstop motion. He's just like, yeah, I'll build half a boat. That's totally financially <laughs> worth it. I'm surprised this movie. And bombed. I guess like one to one, like full size, half a boat, because there's people in yeah. it. Like, right. like <laughs> what? Yeah, the uh, the touring of the boat scene is one of my favorite scenes in the movie because it is just like going through so many different things all at once. A lot of it's done in one take too. He's just kind of going through each room, like room by room, kind of thing. Uh, and you know, and again, there's like still just like these moments of like really heartbreaking sadness, just that, that are kind of just like tossed away moments where Bill Murray's like, uh, "This is my mentor. He's dead now." Uh, <laughs> And the, the very end of that scene where they go up to the top of the boat and you see this uh, the submarine and it says Jacqueline on it and it's crossed out and it says like deep search now. Uh, and Owen Wilson's like, what happened to Jacqueline? And Bill Murray just like pauses for a second and says, she didn't really love me. 
Well, even later <laughs> when out. he's showing the tattoo and he has a Jacqueline tattoo that he's crossed out and then gets a tattoo of saying deep research. There's just so many little callbacks to it. It's so perfect. Oh, so, so good. Uh, so, Mike, this is probably a question more for you, but I'll throw it out to Nick, too. Uh, how do you think this role fits into the roles that we've seen Jeff Goldblum play so far? You know, as far as the role, I couldn't really think of anything. I, I uh I tagged uh, Buckery Banzai mostly for the end credits walking to a pop sure, song. Yeah, which we talked about <laughs> when we watched Buckery Banzai, uh, how the ending of that movie is the entire cast getting together and doing like this big triumphant walk uh, during the credits. Uh, and it's pretty great. And that's the actual score of Buckery Banzai. It's like the main theme, yeah. I think. Uh, and then they basically repeated that exact same ending for The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Uh, but this time it's the entire cast of this movie and it is Queen Bitch by David Bowie. Uh, and right. it's also, it's equally, if not more triumphant than the ending of Buckaroo Banzai. <laughs> and in the commentary yeah. track, they mentioned they did this because of Buckaroo Banzai and yes. because of Jeff Goldblum. So you are 100% on the mark. That rocks. Nailed yeah. it. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, and I was like, this has, has to be why they're doing this, right? That's amazing. I'm so glad to know that. Um, but then the other thing I wanted to, to name check was uh, Incident at Loch Ness, even though obviously Jeff Goldblum is in it for two, 10 seconds or whatever yeah. in that movie. But it's about a movie crew making a documentary, um, which is kind of all th- thematically j- gelled together. Yeah, you know? yeah. We got, got se- Secret Monster. <laughs> we, craziness. we got to talk about two uh, deep sea exploration movies uh, in a row on this podcast. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of a fun thing. Uh, and like I said, also the first of three uh, Wes Anderson movies that uh, Goldblum makes an appearance in. Uh, and I believe that's going to make Wes Anderson the director Goldblum has worked with the second most uh, right behind Robert Altman. Uh, he's, in, wow. he's in four Robert Altman movies. He's in uh, The Player, just barely, but he's in that. Nashville, California Split, and Beyond Therapy. And so Wes Anderson, three movies so far. I mean, Wes Anderson will probably have a lot more movies ahead of them, and I'm guessing Goldblum will probably be in at least a couple of them. You know, we'll see what happens. Wes Anderson is the kind of guy, and we should talk about this, that, like, uses the same actors in all of his <laughs> in all oh, of his right. movies. Because, you know, Jeff Goldblum's in three of them, but uh, like I said, Bill Murray's in almost all of them. Owen Wilson, also in almost all of them. Luke Wilson, also in a bunch of them. Jason Schwartzman is in a bunch. Uh, you know, Willem Dafoe also appears, I think, in this and Grand Budapest and something else. Uh, he's oh, the he's in, rat Fest- in Yeah, Fantastic he's the rat in Mr. Fox, Fox yeah. of course. <laughs> Amazing. Which is so good. The, his death scene in Fantastic Mr. Fox is so beautiful. I just, yeah. I just wanted some cider. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's great. Uh, but yeah, he's, he's the kind of director who uses a lot of the same actors over and over again. And that, like, that crew of his that like is an ever expanding team of actors. It feels like, I mean, he's, he's got a new movie coming out this year uh, called the French dispatch, which is this huge, huge ensembles cast that like is three different stories, each with its own unique cast. And like some new people are in there that like feel like they should already be in Wes Anderson movies. Like Timothy Chalamet seems like he should just be a Wes Anderson guy. Right. Doesn't it seem like he's yeah. a Wes Anderson actor already? <laughs> I think as Adrian Brody's been in a couple. Of, yes. Think, yeah. yeah. He's in Darjeeling. Francis McDormand. He, What's that? Uh, yeah, Francis McDormand. Francis McDormand. Yeah, she's in Moonrise Kingdom, and she's in uh, Isle of Dogs also, uh, and for sure. French yeah. Dispatch, yeah. So. And she's in French Dispatch, yeah. But yeah, so yeah, theoretically, Goldblum will be in more of these movies, unless they have some kind of falling out. Although I just I was just watching uh, one of the Criterion Collection special features on YouTube, uh, which I have the Blu-ray, but I didn't have the chance to watch it there, but I was kind of doing some quick research before this podcast, and the uh, there's like a reminiscing about Life Aquatic thing, and it has like Bill Murray and Willem Dafoe talking, and then it has like uh, Wes Anderson and Jeff Goldblum just hanging out, shooting the shit about uh, the shooting up this nice. movie, uh, which is pretty cool. And that was... Filmed like two years ago. So I think, so I think they're probably fine. Have you had experiences as uh, experiences where you've said, 
I'm going to work, I'm going to do this differently on the, on the next way. I've just learned this. Do you, do you think of, of specific things like that? Or is that something that sort of... You, you, I'm a, yeah, I'm a craft geek, and I'm always trying to figure out how do you prepare for what, what, how do you use your time best so that it comes out better. I look at some things that I have done and I go, geez, I'm lucky to have gotten a chance to keep doing it after this. I don't like the way that came out. And you had, I had that pink scarf that you was yours, I believe, that you donated to the character for that the purpose. Sounds, yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. Light, baby pink, light baby pink, pink scarf. <laughs> that was your, as is your want to do. Do you say won't or want? Won't. Want. As is want? your want to do? Yeah, I would say as do. is your won't to do, but I'm sure you're right. Well, I just feel if it's your won't to do it, then, 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 you, then it's not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, but uh, anyway, yeah. So a lot of cool Goldblum stuff uh, throughout this movie, which is fun. But again, he is like the seventh build main character or something like that. He is and he's not even really like part of the actual ensemble team of the movie. You know, he's not part of Steve Zizou's crew. He is like the rival to Steve Zizou, who then kind of gets incorporated into the crew by the end of the movie. Uh, so there's that aspect as well. Uh, Nick, any more thoughts about uh, how do you think this fits into Goldblum's career? Uh, well, I guess you guys are the experts on this. Has he ever played a villain before? Like, is this one of the He's rare... played the literal devil. I, okay, <laughs> <Yes>. all right. <laughs> Mr. Frost, Mr. Frost, of yeah. course, yes. What movie is that? <laughs> that That is Mr. Frost. Okay. Uh, it is a uh, movie that has... Who's the girl in that movie, Mike? Who's the actress? <sighs> Bold of you to assume I would ever know. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, it's got it's got uh, Vincent Chiavelli popping up in a bit, for a bit That's part right. in that movie. That's right. Uh, but yeah, that, that's a movie about uh, like Goldblum is this a serial killer who turns out to be the literal devil and he's like possessing his therapist. Uh, right. And the therapist yeah. is like the main character of the movie. Sounds uh, good. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, you know, it has its moments. Okay. It has its moments. The opening scene is pretty good. Uh, I'll give yeah. that. Um, but yeah, he's played the devil in that movie before. I mean, there's the fly. <laughs> You know, if you want to count the fly as, as the back, I, I mean, he's a sympathetic more tragic, villain. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he's a he's a but. sympathetic villain, but I think he is ultimately kind of the villain at the end of the movie. Yeah, um, Kathy Baker was the the woman in right, Mr. Frost. Kathy Baker, who was also in the Right Stuff with yes. Jeff Goldblum. Yes, he's not the villain in the Right Stuff, by the way. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's space. Um, yeah. <laughs> the but, Russians, I guess, maybe. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it's it's fun to see. I guess he's really only a villain because Steve is our main character. Because realistically, he's just a guy who's good at his job uh, and <laughs> yeah. is able to afford all of these movies and all of these sea ventures and can have the nicest things that Steve will then go out and steal. Um, yeah, it's at least to me, who did not know uh, Jeff Goldblum ever played the devil, uh, it's fun to see him do a role like this. And yeah, again, you kind of see him, he could have just been a throwaway character in the beginning. Because you just see him be like, oh, I'm your competition. And then he just keeps popping up more and more until, yeah, at the crying climax of it, he's hand in hand with Steve. So I don't know. It's nice to see him grow, even though he didn't really have time for a character arc. Right. uh, Yeah, I don't know. Absolutely. Actually, if you're looking for another villainous Jeff Goldblum role, uh, Deep Cover, 1992. uh, Yes. Rules, great movie. Bill Duke. Directed yes. one? Okay. Yeah. yeah, directed by Bill Duke. Criterion Criterion actually just put out a new Blu-ray of it uh, not too long ago, and uh, highly recommend picking that up if you can, because it is terrific. Uh, and yeah, Lawrence Fishburne's the star of that. Uh, it's actually the very first movie he was called Lawrence Fishburne in. Uh, he was 
or, or it's either his first Lawrence Fishburne movie or his last Larry Fishburne movie. It's one of the two. It's one okay. of the two. <laughs> I forget. I think it's his first Lawrence Fishburne. I think it's his first Lawrence Fishburne. It has the it has the gravitas of a Lawrence Fishburne picture. You know what I mean? OK, not uh, <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street three, the Dream Warriors. You didn't quite get that. That, bad that, that that's got big Larry Fishburne energy, okay. I would say. <laughs> Uh, but all right, so let's start running down the Life Aquatic scene by scene, really start to break this movie down. So it opens on uh, Steve Zizou's film premiere, uh, which is called The Jaguar Shark Part One. Uh, and you see the movie and he kind of introduces the entire crew. And that's where you find out that uh, Esteban, Steve Zizou's partner, uh, was eaten by a jaguar shark, uh, which is very funny when Bill Murray just like emerges from the water and he's like, he was eaten. <laughs> he was eaten. Esteban was eaten. Uh, which is great. And so in the post movie Q and a of the audience, like the audience is all kind of like stunned by what they just watched and like very confused by it. Uh, and they're like, so was it a conscious choice to never show the shark or what was that? <laughs> uh, and they asked if, if there's going to be a part two. And uh, Bill Murray says that uh, his plan is to go hunt down the shark and kill it. And uh, has a great deadpan reading. of it's like, well, what is the scientific purpose of that? And it's just like revenge. revenge. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, which is great. So this whole this whole opening sequence, uh, Nick, what do you think of this? Um, I think it's it just the way, I can't remember how exactly they described doing it, but it was with some old film stock to make it look like it was filmed in the 60s. And as someone who loves like those nature documentaries of that style, it's really cool to see something match the Jacques Cousteau uh, type stylings. Uh, and also in like the behind the scenes, you can't see it as much in the actual movie, but Bill Murray's eyes when he pops up, he's got like these weird spirals going through all of them because it's like he's got uh, the crazy eyes. Yeah, it's like uh, what's uh, what does Steve Buscemi have in Armageddon? Space madness or something? Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. It's, it's the water version of that because he's gone so angry and I guess sad at the same time. But yeah, it's it's a great way to set everyone up immediately. Where it's not it's very rare that you get a movie where every character can get a literal introduction by a narrator. So it's good to have. Yeah. That. And, and it does give Willem Dafoe my, my favorite intro, just calm, collected, German. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's great. Uh, Mike D, you're taking this opening scene? Um, yeah, this is kind of like the, this is the the artifice style thing that I was talking about. I just restart with that, right? Like, they, it's a little literal crowd in, you know, tuxedos and the curtains open. And then we're just like watching this thing in 4-3 with curtains as the black bars on the side. Uh, we're just watching this documentary. And it's it's fun. It's like, oh, yeah, this is the Wes Anderson I've come to know over 20, you know, the last 20 years or whatever. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, it's a delight. Yeah, absolutely. So that uh, that scene happens. And then, uh, you know, the film premiere is over and there's a kind of the after party thing going on. They're out of the movie. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of just Steve's is going through the party. He runs into Eleanor and then he runs into Goldblum and you meet Goldblum for the first time. Uh, Alistair Hennessy. And uh, there's a, a great moment where he's talking to Eleanor and um you know, first first off, uh, Bill Murray's talking to Goldblum and Goldblum's like kind of making fun of him about the Jaguar shark thing and asking him like it doesn't even exist. Like, come on, guy, uh, right. that kind of thing. But then there's this great moment uh, where uh, Goldblum goes to talk to Eleanor as Bill Murray walks away. And, uh, you know, he and Eleanor are talking. Eleanor is Steve's wife. Uh, and, you know, he's kind of flirting with her a little bit and she's flirting back. And Bill Murray comes back up to them and says, don't be nice to Ellie. He's my nemesis. You're the most ravishing creature that I've ever seen in my life. Hello, Skinny. Hello. Is that a new merit badge? Oh, yes, as a matter of fact, it is. I just became a knight in Portugal. The Presidente gave a special ball. Don't be nice to Ali. He's my nemesis. How could you lay that slick faggot? Well, I was in love with him at the time. Yeah, he's charismatic. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Just so the audience knows. Exactly. <laughs> As your brother and nemesis. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, and then, you know, more just kind of random stuff throughout the sequence. And, uh, you know, I feel like I'm skipping over a lot, but that's only because there's so much like small detail, like stuff that happens throughout a, a lot of this movie, like, you know, small character introductions, like bits here and there, per- people that, you know, pop up for one scene and then disappear and all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's one moment here where, uh, Steve Zizou's mistress comes up and like says yeah. hi to him. He's like, ah, oh, I just wanted to say hi. I don't want to talk to your wife. And then Eleanor shows up and he's like, Steve, not here. I like, <laughs> you know. <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So it kind of it, like all this stuff kind of gives you a sense of who Steve Zizou is as a character and like, you know, how much he's disappointed the people in his life. There's even that that older. I think this is that sequence where the the older fan guy comes up with the movie posters, which are fucking awesome. I want all of those. Yeah. Uh, and he's like, sign this one and this. And, and he does like two or three or whatever. And Zizou's like, just forge the signature on the rest. Yeah. Like, get out of here. <laughs> Yes, which is great. Uh, and Klaus brings this his- sequence. Oh, sorry. Uh, I, the sequence too. this whole thing reminded me to sort of maybe think of like Altman kind of things, because I feel like at least I, ha- I hadn't considered that. But I think you're right. Yeah, this is a very, in a way, un Anderson thing. But it also takes place in a very Wes Anderson world. Uh, I don't want to say rhythmic, but like everyone gets a chance to have their line. There's yes. not a lot of overlapping dialogue. But I feel like this scene, this whole sequence in, in the like lobby or on the staircase or whatever is so chaotic and everyone wants Steve's attention that it's just like, you're kind of going in circles and it's like getting super crazy. And Steve punches him and then he like drops the seahorse, but picks it up and saves it and you know, keeps going. Puts it in a uh, champagne fleet. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Which is great. And I, I think that's the moment where it really like kind of gives you the perspective on Steve Zizzi as a character, uh, somebody who cares so much about, oceanographic life um you know the underwater creatures and you know is very is very fascinated by all that and will do whatever it takes to save these creatures uh but at the expense of like literally all the humans in his life (laughs) (laughs) and he's like also an idiot about it too right i mean it comes up later on about how uh Eleanor is like the actual person, like the actual person that knows all the science, right? <laughs> um, right. She knows all the names and now what species is where. And he gets, you gets a lot of them wrong throughout the movie. Well, even they're um, like looking at like the jellyfish on the beach and he's yeah. naming them. And then Kate Blanchett just goes, those are those. And he just goes, we'll loop it over and post. Like, it's just, he's, <laughs> he's there for by namesake only and just surrounds himself with experts just so he can call himself an adventurer. Like, yes yeah. but, but at the same time there's like a genuine love for this stuff too he's yeah, just very bad at yeah. it yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing uh so to transition to the next scene you get uh pele playing uh, ziggy stardust in portuguese which is beautiful it's so good uh and then you go into the next scene and that's when uh steve Zizou meets ned plimpton uh played by owen wilson who reveals to him uh that he may be his son and uh, I love the moment here where uh, Bill Murray takes that information and leaves the conversation and goes to smoke uh, and like just yeah. to process it. And uh, they play Life on Mars by David Bowie during that scene. It's a great music cue. Uh, and like the camera, like the camera kind of goes into slow motion for a little bit and then speeds up again as he gets back to the bow of the ship and all that kind of stuff. And it's just this like, you know, I have to take a minute to process everything I just heard and then return to the conversation. And it's like, I'm sorry, I left like that. Uh, yes, that's interesting that you're my son. <laughs> <laughs> Air Kentucky, huh? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so Ned, Ned Plimpton introduces himself, played by Owen Wilson. What do you guys think of Owen Wilson in this movie? Like, we we talked about Owen a couple weeks ago on Mike might go to the movies, Mike, uh, in Behind Enemy Lines, and uh, how that was sort of Owen Wilson um, 
kind of experimenting with his movie star persona in, a, in an interesting way. Yeah. Uh, because he's somebody who kind of came up in these Wes Anderson movies and then sort of became the bro comedy guy for a while. Uh, and this is like right in the height of bro comedy Owen Wilson. Wedding Crashers is next year uh, after Wow. Aquatic, which is when, when's Drillbit Taylor? Uh, that's uh, 2008, I think. That's a few years <laughs> later. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so what did you guys think of uh, Owen Wilson, Life Aquatic? I loved his cute little Southern drawl. Uh, yeah. his, his little pencil mustache and his professionalism. Like, I don't, he's just such an endearing little guy. And I, again, just like everyone else, I feel like he gets this very like sense, like sensitive introduction and then slowly becomes more of a character, but just he's, he's so endearing just immediately from the second you meet him and just how, oh, I don't touch dope, but I can immediately smoke this corn cob pipe. And he's just <laughs> like, well, I have inheritance and. I can give away all my shifts. That's fine by me. And he just not a, he seems very focused, but not a care in the world. Like, I don't know. I just, he's, he's just a very calming person and it goes right against everything that Steve has shown himself to be in the last 10 minutes. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think he's, I think this is probably his best performance in a Wes Anderson movie. Uh, and you know, I, I think cause really the big ones, he's in bottle rocket. He's one of the stars of bottle rocket and he's in Royal Tenenbaums, uh, where he has, the uh, the iconic line like uh, well what this book presupposes what if he didn't yeah. um, you know <laughs> which is great uh, and then he's in this movie and then after Life Aquatic he pops up in a few Wes Anderson movies like he has a cameo in uh, Finesse Mr Fox he plays the coach of the uh, the uh, whatever ball team I'm blanking on what the uh, the sport is oh, Whack Bat yeah. he's, yeah. he's this <laughs> yeah he's the coach of the Whack Bat team uh, and he gets to explain the whole sport which is pretty funny. Um, and yeah, I think he probably shows up in he's Isle of Dogs. I think in, he's in Grand Bruce. Really yeah, he's limited. Yeah, he's one of Oh, the yes. Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess that would be like the last. I, I was thinking this would be like the last major Owen Wilson one. But you're right. Yeah, Darjeeling would be the last one, I guess. And then after that, it's more supporting roles from that point forward. Um, but yeah, but I think he, this is probably my favorite Owen Wilson, uh, Wes Anderson appearance, at least. Do you think it's because he got to focus more on acting as a character not writing everything first like because was he taken in this more like an implant because if, if they had such a writing partnership beforehand maybe this was the time where he was like i'll just come in and do my own thing now because i don't have to focus could, on what i wrote that could be it and i think but, part of that is you know he's not writing he didn't write this one uh i would guess he may, may have had you know a little bit of input here and there because of their writing partnership in the past uh, but he's not a credited writer on this movie and I, I would say that this is that period in time like you know like I said with Behind Enemy Lines, where he is kind of experimenting with his movie star persona. And like I was saying in that episode of the podcast, uh, I'm like, I might go to the movies. Um, Owen Wilson of that, like kind of bro comedy crew, I think has the more interesting, varied career um, than a lot of them because he showed up in Wedding Crashers. He was in Starsky and Hutch this same year. Right. And he's in like the meet, meet the, the fuckers, pa- meet the fuckers, of course, meet the parents and all that kind of stuff. Cars. Um, but yes, cars who could forget. <laughs> oh, mate or Wow. Uh, but he's here with us. I th- <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, he also made time to be in movies like, uh, I mean, a few years back, he was in no escape, right. Which is a, like a thriller. Wow. Uh, about, that movie rocks. That was a pretty good movie. I liked that movie. Yeah. Uh, you know, he was in no escape and like now he's on Loki. Uh, and I remember like being just really excited when he was cast in Loki and then watching it, I was like, man, this rules. I'm so, I'm so glad. <laughs> I'm so glad Owen Wilson is in the show and all that kind of stuff. But like around this time he was in behind enemy lines and uh, he had world Tenenbaums that same year uh, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just, it's, it's a weird combination of movies in the Owen Wilson career that I think 
you know, the people in that crew, like all of them to certain degrees or another did stuff outside of that bro comedy range. But I think he is the one who really stretched out the most with the maybe exception of Ben Stiller, um, who also tried to do other weirder stuff. I mean, he directed like every episode of Escape from Danamora uh, and right. that kind of thing, which is a weird thing that happened. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, Owen Wilson, man, he's good. He's real good in this movie. <laughs> He's also the uh, the like asshole jerk guy in The Haunting. Oh, right. John DeBont classic The Haunting. Yes, which we also talked about on Mike and Michael's yeah. movies back in the day. Is season three. We're this- halfway through. <laughs> we're halfway through an Owen Wilson complete work season. We might as well. We, season three might as well just be us finishing up Owen Wilson. Just doing all the Owen Wilson movies <laughs> yeah. we haven't done yet. Uh, but all right. So, yeah. Anyway. Let's get off Owen Wilson for a minute. Uh, there's the scene where Steve shows Ned his boat, which we talked about. It's the Belafonte. Uh, you know, he's doing the whole who, who's Jacqueline thing and everything like that. There's also a big portrait of Jeff Goldblum on the boat, uh, which is very funny. And, uh, you know, uh, Owen Wilson's like, oh, wow, who's that? And, uh, you know, Steve is explaining to him who Jeff Goldblum is, Alistair Hennessy. And apparently you get a little more info on, on him here that uh, he was actually Steve Zissou's ex-roommate uh, and also Eleanor's ex-husband. <laughs> So right. a lot of history between Steve and Alistair here, uh, and he describes him as a big time asshole. I think we're, we're also glossing over uh, an important detail regarding the Belafonte that they have uh, two scout albino dolphins <laughs> that swim with the boat. <laughs> with the, like just the, the little bit of weirdness yes. that's in all of the all of these movies and throughout this whole movie, like just that. Oh, yeah, everything. This is all claymation and all that kind of stuff, like just the little the little artifice stuff details that are throughout the whole movie. Yes. Uh, which that does come up later in the movie, too. That's a, it's like a <laughs> yeah. plot point. They have these dolphins yeah. and cameras on, <laughs> uh, which is great. Uh, but, yeah, so they're they're bonding a little bit as he's showing in the boat and all that kind of stuff. Steve and Ned a little bit. And, uh, you know, Ned reveals that his mother actually killed herself. Uh, she had cancer and. You know, I'm not sure if he reveals about the cancer thing yet until a little bit later, but uh, you do find yeah. out that she had cancer and uh, rather than let the sickness take her, she killed herself on her own terms. Uh, and there's a moment where uh, Bill Murray is like, oh, would you like to change your name to Kingsley Zizou? <laughs> <laughs> Which is great. Uh, it's like, oh, I, ne- I never thought of myself as a Kingsley before. And it's like, well, that's what I would have named you. Uh, <laughs> so I think he has his name like legally changed to Kingsley Zizou uh, during the movie. Right. Or almost. Or at least uh, Steve writes Kingsley over Ned on all the yeah. pieces of paper. But <laughs> I think that's what yes, it is. Yes. The correspondence yes. stuff. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so there's this whole scene with them bonding. And then you get another transitionary scene with uh, Sweet George playing a Portuguese David Bowie song. This time it's Rebel Rebel and it rules. Uh, and yep. they get to Steve Zizou's island. They get to like his island retreat. Uh, and as soon as they get there, uh, Steve finds out from Eleanor that his cat Marmalade has died. Uh, and... <laughs> This is a very sad moment that's also very funny. And uh, Wes Anderson walks that line really well, I think. Uh, also continues Wes Anderson's weird streak of animals getting hurt and killed in his movies, um, which is something I think I noticed when I saw Moonrise Kingdom uh, for the first time. Uh, but like the dog in Royal Tenenbaums dies. The dog in Moonrise Kingdom dies. There's a cat that gets thrown out of window in Grand Budapest Hotel. <laughs> uh, right. There are lots of animals from Test Mr. Fox that get knocked out or hurt. And same with Isle of Dogs and all that stuff. And then they describe this cat as getting a rattlesnake bite to the throat <laughs> and dying. Uh, and there's a moment where, you know, Owen Wilson's asking Bill Murray about it. And it's like, Oh, what kind of cat was it? And Bill Murray's like, who gives a shit? I think it was a tabby. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it reminded me a lot of the scene in Moonrise Kingdom when the dog dies, uh, because it is one of my favorite lines in any movie of the last 10 years, uh, which is when uh, the girl says, uh, was he a good dog? And the kid says, Who's to say? 
but he didn't deserve to die. <laughs> <laughs> Like, it's just such a weird, like, it's such a weird attitude that Wes Anderson has towards animals. And I feel like that could be its own podcast or its own, like, novel in itself. Just, like, dissecting <laughs> everything. Wow. Like, something bad must have happened to one of Wes Anderson's pets when he was a kid, right? <laughs> yeah. I do love, too, just on the island, there's just birds and cat, like, just animals fucking everywhere, all over every room. <laughs> yes, great. absolutely. Um but yeah, so they're at the island, and uh, the jellyfish wash ashore. It's now it's nighttime now. They're in the jellyfish have washed ashore, and uh, you know Steve's like kind of filming the documentary with his crew, and Owen Wilson's there, and he's helping out a little bit. He's holding the sound like the boom mic, uh, and while they're there, I think Steve says something, uh, or no, Ned says something, and Steve's like, "Oh wow, that's an interesting point, Ned." I'd like to ask you to join my crew. And he tries to get that on film. He tries to make it like part of the documentary uh, where like, you know, cause he can see the narrative in his head of like this long lost son returning to him and joining his crew to explore the ocean together and all that stuff. And uh, you know, the crew does not capture it on film. <laughs> Vikram stops rolling. Yes, yeah. yeah. Vikram stops rolling, thinks it's kind of dumb and they don't do it. Um, but yeah. And so this is when the Jane, the reporter arrives also. And she says, you know, about the jellyfish, like, Oh, it's actually this. And he's like, we'll loop it over. Uh, and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. And they talk about it and she is writing an article, uh, on Steve Zizou and his latest exploration. Uh, and Steve is immediately attracted to her. And, uh, you know, there's a, there's a very funny moment where, uh, he's like, they're like, he's like walking to her, to her room. And then like, he turns to Klaus as she like walks in the door. He's like, not this one, Klaus. And he's like, what? <laughs> what? what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and that that seems like one thing that's like just, you know, an, a one off joke. And then that pays off later in the movie, <laughs> which is great. When yeah. uh, when Owen Wilson, uh, who has been having a relationship with Jane throughout the movie, uh, he says like, oh, you like, you know, like I uh, Bill Murray says to him, like, you know, I said not this one. And it's like, no, you said not this one. Klaus. <laughs> <laughs> Which is pretty great. Um, but yeah, so they meet they meet Jane and uh, there's a scene where Jane is uh, reading a six volume novel to her unborn child uh, because Jane's pregnant, by the way, should mention that, uh, throw that in there. And uh, Ned Owen Wilson comes by and he like is talking to her a little bit and then he stays just to listen to her read, uh, which is also a thing in Moonrise Kingdom, too. It's uh, the girl reading the book and the kid like kind of listening along. Uh, well, yeah. To, yeah. Also, an inter- uh, interesting parallel between these two movies. Uh, but yeah, so J- Jane has entered the picture now. Uh, what do you guys think, Kate Blanchett, in this movie? Like everything else, what a delight, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> she's so good. And yeah, especially because I kind of, I mean, now she's developed a very different persona, but I sort of only knew her as like Galadriel from Lord of the Rings. You know, I was, what, 13 or whatever at this point right. uh, when this movie came out. Um, so. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's pretty cool to see her be this kind of like quirky, weird voice thing she's also doing. That's like neat. I don't know. I just what, what I like. It. Yeah, it's, it sounds like I mean, looking through the, the behind the scenes a little bit like they went through a few actresses before they settled on Kate Blanchett. Like there were a couple people that had to drop out. But I guess the character is actually named after Kate Winslet, Jane Winslet Richardson. Uh, huh. is, and, I, and I think that's who Wes Anderson like wanted to be in the role originally. And then. Obviously, that didn't happen. But I think Kate Blanchett's great in this movie. Uh, and also, it's a future Goldblum reunion because she's in uh, Thor Ragnarok. Uh, she's she's Hella yeah. in that movie. That's right. So you got that going. They don't share a scene in that movie. And I don't think they share a scene in this movie. But they're both in <laughs> they're both yeah, in these I, movies together. <laughs> but yeah. Nick, any thoughts on Kate uh, Blanchett? Um, well, I again, I, I feel like her, her character is pretty good just to introduce because I feel like this movie feels a lot like 
in addition to exploring like movie making as a whole. So you get like the young person who like admires Steve and like maybe wants to be a filmmaker himself and joins it and helps finance it. And then this person who's kind of like the critic, but then also like an old fan who the mirage is immediately broken when she actually gets to meet him. And it's just, again, it's, it's a fun little character thing. And yeah, Steve calling dibs is ridiculous and adds more to his own, like doubting his virility the entire time. And just the whole sad sack, Bill Murray character, just she helps that along. And I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> is is Goldblum in the submarine at the end when they yes. do the? Oh yes, yes, yes. Start? Okay, so they are they are so, both in that yeah. scene together. Yeah, but they don't like exchange yeah. any dialogue together or anything like that. No. They're just part of the the crew. Um, but yeah, so that happens, and uh, so Jane interviews Steve, uh, and she's talking to him about the documentary, and uh, you know they kind of get real for a minute, where she's saying, "Well, part one seemed a little fake." You know, part part one uh, seemed like it wasn't really happening and all that stuff. And Steve freaks out at that. You know, he's you know, I mean, he's still like reeling from the death of his partner, Esteban. Uh, he freaks out. And uh, at one point he pulls out a gun in the interview, <laughs> and, like holds it at her. But it's not played as if it's like a big dramatic moment. He's like pulls it out. And it's like, does this seem fake to you? And then he puts it away. Like <laughs> that was one of my also got a huge laugh moment for me uh, when she's like, I don't know, part one felt a little fake. And then there's the killer whale through the window behind, <laughs> who like turns and looks at the window. It's like absolutely hilarious. It's like, you know, clearly like a rear projection thing or whatever. It's right. just so funny. So good. Um, it's like, how dare you say this is fake is basically what the whale is saying. Um, but yeah, so yeah, they're, they're doing this interview. And uh, it obviously isn't going that well. And, uh, you know, Steve has a really good line here that kind of gets to the heart of this character. And you don't really learn a lot about his parents. But at one point he says, I hate fathers and I never wanted to be one. Uh, And that's like a pretty like, you know, I I think I'm not sure if he says that directly to Ned. Does he say that to Ned or is it like in the interview? I think it's to Ned in his cabin. Yeah. Something along those lines. Yeah. I think he says it to Ned and Ned's like clearly hurt, but doesn't say anything about it, you know? He asks, uh, Dead asks him, if you heard of me, how come you never tried to find me? Yes. And that's what his response is. Right. Is, I hate fathers. And I never want to be one. Yes. And then he realizes what he said. And it's like, uh, sorry. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, the, at this point, uh, you know, the funding for the movie is kind of getting pulled. Michael Gambon, who's kind of the, uh, the financier behind the whole thing. He is, you know, not going to be funding the movie anymore. They can't get the money to make it. Uh, then Ned offers... Uh, his inheritance, uh, the the what they got from his mother dying, uh, two hundred and seventy five thousand dollars to fund this movie. Uh, and Steve is also told he can't kill the shark if they make the movie. <laughs> um, right. But he's allowed to fight it. He's allowed to fight it and let it live. <laughs> but he can't kill the shark. Uh, there's also a great moment here where, uh, you know, Bill Murray's like, uh, dude, he says to uh, the uh, the character Anne Marie, I think is the character's name. Uh, he says to Anne Marie, like, do the interns all get a Glock? The, do, they all, do they all get guns? <laughs> And, and no, like, no, they all share one Glock and there's like one Glock that the, all the interns have to share, yeah. which is like, you know, there's an absurdity to the fact that all of the interns get Glocks in the first place. And then the fact that they all have to share the one like adds another layer to it. <laughs> Everybody gets a gun. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he can't kill the shark. He is determined to fight it regardless. And then there's a, a big training montage where they're on like Steve's Island and they're just like kind of doing like training exercises and all that stuff. There's like a great like, you know, visual of like, I think it's Bill Murray doing the uh, like the leg jump thing that he's <laughs> that he's doing. You know what I mean? 
With the Zizzy branded uh, Adidas yeah. sneakers. Yes, yes exactly. Uh, and like throughout this montage, uh, Ned and Jane are also growing closer. They uh, kind of talk a little bit more. They're flirting. And uh, at one point, Ned almost drowns. And uh, Steve like kind of has to save him. <laughs> what a wonderful heart yeah. cut that is, too. Just <laughs> great. Uh, and then at the end of this montage, uh, the whole team is gathered together and they're watching one of Steve's old movies. Uh, and it's an old movie of Steve and the team uh, saving this creature in the snow. And uh, Willem Dafoe's like watching wistfully like, ah, that's what it used to be like. And uh, Steve's like watching it from a distance and he's just it just makes him sadder, basically, at like the state of their life now. He's got the one tear that goes mm-hmm. down his cheek, basically. Yes. Class <laughs> yeah, has exactly. the wonderful like taxi driver, like mohawk in the background, too. Like, it's just. Yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so good. Uh, yeah. And this is when uh, Eleanor comes up to Steve and says that she is going to be leaving. She is not going to be taking part in this expedition. And uh, Steve is like, wait, are you leaving me or the expedition? And she's like, I'm leaving both. Like, I'm <laughs> leaving everything. Uh, and, you know, it's I think this is a really nice moment here. Like they have this like conversation outside and she's saying that she's going to be leaving. He's trying to tell her not to. And then they look down for a second. And it's like, oh, the sugar crabs are back in season. This is earlier than they usually show up. And they just kind of like stare in wonder at those for a moment. And then they go back to what they were doing. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, she says, like, you know, I'm, I'm leaving. And he's like, don't say goodbye. And she's like, say bon voyage. And she says, bon voyage. And she gets on a boat and leaves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that moment's wonderful. I like it, like when they look down at the crabs and she's like, they'd never meet this early. Yes. <laughs> and Zizi's like, is that is that mating? And then the one crab rips the other one's arms off <laughs> and scurries away. And then they cut back to the husband and wife splitting yeah. up. Yes. I'm like, nice. I, also, Analysis. I, I like that the only times he seems to like care about anything is when there's some sort of artificiality. So like he only cries at Esteban because there's this weird claymation shark. He only likes uh, what's uh, Klaus's nephew's name? Werner. Werner. Yeah, Verner. he feels happiness there because there's this little seahorse, which is also very fake. And then the little snow crabs, which yeah. are, again, these little stop motion things. And it's just he can only feel real emotion during those moments. And even when there's real stuff around him, he's just like, well, I'm going to ignore that. And like my my real son <laughs> is next to me, but I'm going to hang out with this family that I've kind of built around myself inside my boat. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, that, and that's a great that's a, a great point, actually, too. Yeah. Uh, all right. So day one. Belafonte is at sea and uh, they're heading out to an underwater lab. They're, uh, you know, getting ready to go on this expedition. Uh, at one point, Steve tries to kiss Jane when they're like up in like a, the air. They're in like a kind of a parasailing thing. Oh, uh, you know, they're just kind of talking and then he like leans in and she's like, uh, what are you doing? Uh, and <laughs> and he's like, oh, I, I guess I misread that. And then uh, and then he like tries to spy on her with their dolphins. <laughs> yeah. Well, I love I love that moving in the hot air balloon where uh he tries to kiss her and she like rebuffs him or whatever. Yeah. And then she like spits out her gum and takes his drink and like drinks the last little bit of it. And he gets like offended. He's like, oh, you think it's cool to hit the sauce while you're pregnant? <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, what is happening? You're just the worst human. Yes, absolutely. Uh, yeah. So he, he sends the dolphins out to spy on her and uh, they don't really do anything. Uh, and there's another <sighs> conversation between Steve and Ned where uh, Steve uh, like Ned reveals that, uh, you know, I wrote you a fan letter. Uh, when I was a kid, like 17 years ago, uh, and Steve actually responded to it uh, and talks about it. And uh, Ned actually has it with him and all that stuff. And Steve kind of reads it and it's like, oh, yeah, standard boilerplate, you know, like, <laughs> just yeah. really trying to, to very much distance himself from the whole like father son dynamic thing. Unless it works well for yeah. the movie. Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Can I call you dad? Uh, no, but you can call me Steve Z. 
<laughs> you can come up with a yeah. nickname, though. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so now we're on day five of the expedition, and now they get to the lab they're going to. Uh, it's locked, and it's actually Goldblum's lab. Uh, and they uh, break in and steal all of his shit, and uh, it's very that funny. That scene is so fucking funny. <laughs> it's so good. They break in, and uh, Bud Quartz, the uh, the Bond Company stooge, is like, tell them, oh, you, guys, you guys shouldn't do this. Uh, you know, all that kind of stuff. I love the arc that that guy goes through, like kind of in the background yeah. too, which is so great. Uh, there's the one moment towards the end uh, after they've rescued uh, the Bond Company stooge and uh, they rescued Goldblum and they're all on the ship together and Goldblum sees uh, his espresso machine and he's like, wait, <laughs> how the fuck did you guys get my espresso machine? And Bud Court like takes a sip of his coffee and he's like, well, uh, we fucking stole it, man. <laughs> <laughs> Just the, the fact also that they keep calling him the Bond Company stooge is like, yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. in the in the credits, in the credits, he's listed as Bill comma Bond Company stooge. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Just great. Uh, yeah. So they break into Goldblum's. They steal all of his shit. Uh, and as Goldblum, you know, discovers this and uh, he says he's on the hunt for these sickos. Uh, right. He's some, somebody's yeah. broken in. He doesn't know it's Steve yet, but he knows that somebody broke into his stuff. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Steve breaks into Jane's room and reads her article, and uh, he's pretty upset at what he reads. Like he's being painted as like this washed-up explorer, you know, he's, he's pat, way past his glory days, and all of it's true, and he knows it, but he's upset that it's in print, <laughs> you know? <laughs> uh, and then uh, Ned and Jane sleep together. Uh, so they, uh, you know, have been bonding throughout the movie, bonding throughout the training montage and all that, and Ned and Jane uh, sleep together, and Ned's like, oh, you know, Steve's kind of got a thing for you. And it's like, What? <laughs> Uh, he's he's so old he's way he's way like way too old for me and all that stuff and then they sleep together and they're caught on camera by a dolphin uh one one of the dolphins actually sees it and so uh, at this point steve's like walking through and he sees that uh on the screen he he sees like ned and jane going to bed together uh and then you get a scene of uh sui george performing space oddity in portuguese uh and then a ladder uh hits up (laughs) goes up against the side of the ship and pirates board the ship. Ned was supposed to be on watch. And I think that is the funniest thing when uh, Bill Murray shows up with the pirates at uh, Jane's door. <laughs> and he's like, Ned, there's pirates here. You were supposed to be on watch. <laughs> After purposely like bringing them through like specifically like uncharted territory. And he's like, well, if we go four inches, uh, that's, that's, that's the, out yeah. of the direction. If we go an inch and a half, uh, you want to pay for gas? Like he's just thinking so like... <laughs> <laughs> He's so chintzy when it comes to that stuff. And yeah, still just blames Ned. Yes. Uh, yeah, but this this whole pirate sequence is so great. They knock out Ned and they plan to take him hostage. Uh, but then, you know, they find out that Bill, the Bond Company stooge, uh, actually speaks their language. Uh, and they take him instead. They swap him out for Ned. Uh, and so the pirates all leave uh, and they leave with Steve's vault and everything, which the cut from Steve being like, there's no vault to the footage of the pirates watching a movie being like, and this is our vault. So where mm-hmm. we keep all of our important <laughs> yeah. things. Uh, we have currency in 14 different international <laughs> currency or whatever. Uh, you know, all, all, most of the pirates, like a lot of the pirates leave with Bill and the lifeboat, but there's still a bunch on the ship. And uh, Steve breaks out of his bindings, takes out a gun and just lays waste to everybody on the ship. <laughs> he becomes John Wick for he becomes He becomes John Wick. Uh, Search and destroy by Iggy and the Stooges plays a perfect needle drop. Uh, and he just kills everybody on the ship, like every pirate on board. And uh, at the end, he sees the dog and is like, you left your dog, you idiots. <laughs> <laughs> oh, ironic, huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and so they left their dog. And uh, now it's day 14, uh, mutiny on the Belafonte. 
And uh, yeah, so there's like, you know, growing distress among the people on the ship, among Steve Zizou's crew. Uh, the Bond Company stooge has been taken away. They got to rescue him. Uh, and Goldblum actually responds to their distress signal. Uh, and this is a really great scene because they're having a funeral for one of the dead pirates. Uh, the fucking funniest <laughs> thing ever. You know, they're they're doing making a big deal about it. It's like, oh, there's this dead pirate. We don't know what to do. It's like, well, let's bury him at sea. Let's, you know, say some words and all that kind of stuff. And they get like all prepared to do it. And then Goldblum shows up and uh, they, they immediately have the problem of, we have to cover up everything with Goldblum's name on it because they stole all of his shit. They're like, well, what do we do with this guy? I don't know. Just toss him overboard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, throw him off the other side. <laughs> Get downstairs and cover everything that says Operation Hennessy on it. <laughs> throw this guy over the other side. Exactly. So Goldblum responds to the stress signal. And uh, there's this really, like I said, Wes Anderson either hates animals <laughs> or like <laughs> or or like is really like conflicted about his love slash hate for animals or whatever. But there's this like scene where Goldblum and Bill Murray are talking and, uh, you know, Goldblum is telling him about like, well, yes, I, I mean, these pirates probably stole the stuff out of my lab too. And Bill Murray's like, yeah, probably. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like the dog, the dog co- uh, is whining the whole time. And, uh, Bill Murray is like, what's your dog's name? And, uh, again, this is the dog that the pirates left. And, uh, Bill Murray looks at it for a second and is like, Cody, <laughs> Like he just had yeah. a name ready and uh, and then Goldblum stands up and whacks the dog with a newspaper like so hard. <laughs> like it's a really yeah. hard smack with the newspaper. And it's like, be still, Cody. Then he just goes back to where he is. This is more than the budget of my whole project. It's an estimate. Uh, what's your dog's name? Cody. Be still Cody. Bizarre. Yeah. Such a weird scene. <laughs> um, but yeah, he does that. And, uh, you know, he's talking to Bill Murray and uh, he's telling he's telling them they actually dined with Eleanor last weekend uh, and that Eleanor is staying at his place. Uh, just further emasculating uh, Bill Murray in the scene. <laughs> yeah. And then he has to sign that invoice like I talked about before. Yes. Yeah. He makes him sign an invoice before he can uh, actually do any rescuing of the Bond Company stooge, which he actually does. Uh, and then there's a scene where, uh, they, you know, they're in their boats and uh, Steve has this thing where it's like he draws a line on the boat. The entire crew is there <laughs> and he says, all right, uh, you know, cross the line if you're going to leave the ship kind of thing. And then Klaus steps forward, Willem Dafoe. And Bill Murray's like, really, Klaus? He's like, wait, what? No, I was I, he like didn't understand the assignment. He didn't know what was going. <laughs> he like misunderstood yeah. what Steve says you said. Uh, so he's actually staying. But like everybody else around Klaus is leaving, <laughs> including yeah. all the interns. Can we do it again? Yeah. But yeah, yeah, Klaus is just so noble. He's like puff chest. He's like, I'll stand by you, whatever. And he's like, really, you're leaving me? And then, yeah, the interns try to leave. And he's just like, well, you guys don't get any credit anymore. And one of them has been like macheted by one of the pirates. <laughs> yeah. You all get incomplete. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to fail you, but you all get incomplete. Yeah. They all just curse him as they leave the ports and all the that first time they talk yeah. is to, 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 to curse. Yeah. Yes. The first time they talk. And then like later, Nico gets like one line where he's like, I want to help you finish the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah. Also, uh, in addition to the interns, uh, Jane is leaving, too. And she's scrapping the article. That's what she says. She's like, I, you right. know, there's there's no story here. This is ridiculous. Like, I, I just don't want to deal with this anymore. So she wants to leave. And uh, oh, Siri, uh, Michael Gammon's character also pulls out of the movie. Like, it's very much a, the lowest of low points uh for steve zizu and his crew right now uh and so day 20 they drop all the interns off and as they do that steve zizu stops by uh goldblum's compound which goldblum's not at at the moment but eleanor is uh and he goes to eleanor and he asks her for money 
And and she immediately says no. And he's like, well, can I try to convince you anyway? Because it took like two and a half hours to get out here. <laughs> to get out here. Yeah. Uh, and so he comes inside and there's Javier, the research assistant, which is like the super hot guy. He's shirtless. Who yes. apparently just owned that house. Because that's what they were saying on really? the commentary. They were just like, yeah, we showed up. We were looking at all these villas. And then this guy was in it. So we just, you know, thought we'd put him in the movie. But he looks like fucking <laughs> Fabio. He's incredible. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's such a great detail. Uh, also, actually, quick uh, to bring this up because we haven't yet. Uh, Jeff Goldblum wears like a pink scarf throughout this movie. And apparently that is Wes Anderson's scarf that he uh, huh. <laughs> that he threw on to Goldblum for it. Like it's his personal scarf that he has in his house. Uh, I'm not sure if he still has it, but he had it during the making of this movie. Good for him. Neat. It's not it's not quite Nicolas Cage and snake hands, but uh, it's it's something. Right. You know? <laughs> <laughs> or his snakeskin jacket. Or his snakeskin jacket, of course. Um, but but yeah, so Steve Zizou meets up with Eleanor, asks her for money, and she's not giving it to him. Uh, and there is this really great line that he has. There's so many just like isolated lines that I've really loved, but I think this one line towards the end of his uh, like stay here is like, listen, I know I haven't been at my best this past decade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Which is both heartbreaking and funny that it's like, you know, an entire decade just haven't been at your best, have not have not been doing well. Uh, And so, yeah, he heads back to the boat uh, and it turns out Jane actually stayed and she's still with Ned. And this is when Steve and Ned start to fight. Uh, And, you know, Owen Wilson has like, you said not this one, Klaus and all that stuff. And (laughs) Steve Steve and Ned fight. Steve reveals that he's actually known about Ned since the day he was born and he just actively didn't seek him out, uh, which, of course, hurts Ned even more. Uh, And they're going through the whole ship and like arguing and fighting and all that stuff. This is where you see the one intern sitting in the ship, too. They're like, intern, what are you still doing here? It's like, I want to help you finish the movie Uh, and (laughs) all that. Uh, And then when they get to the end of it, they just start kind of like uh, exchanging blows. Uh, But then that's broken up because... Eleanor returns to the boat. What a mm-hmm. twist. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So she returns and uh, she actually figured out where Bill is. Uh, the Bond Company stooge, I should say. Right. <laughs> she figured out where Bill is. And uh, you get the Portuguese version of life on Mars playing over the scene where they are tr- mapping out their trajectory and like letting you know, like, oh, this is where Bill is. Like he sent out a distress signal from this area. So we got to go over here and all this stuff. And they are mounting a rescue mission for the Bond Company stooge. And even while they're doing that, Steve's pointing at an island and then Angelica Houston is pointing at the correct one behind him because even (laughs) when he thinks he's in charge, he's still getting all of the facts wrong. Just perfect. So, so good. Um, But yeah, and when they get to the uh, the island they're supposed to go to, they see Goldblum's boat and it sank uh, and he is nowhere to be found. Uh, so, you know, obviously there's a lot of danger going around here. Uh, and Steve and his team charge the beach, uh, which kind of reminded me of the Suicide Squad, the recent uh, yeah. <laughs> the recent Suicide Squad. Uh, it's a great scene where, uh, you know, they're charging the beach and going through and Bill Murray's like, wait, watch out for swamp leeches. And he, he's like covered <laughs> yeah. in leeches and nobody else has any yeah. on them. It's like, uh, it's just me, really? <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, this whole this whole sequence made me kind of really want just like a straight ahead Wes Anderson action movie. <laughs> Like this shit rocks. Yes. Like, well, yes. This whole th- hotel rescue thing. As we yeah. all know, one of Wes Anderson's favorite movies is Heat. So he's been trying to make something <laughs> similar to that for years. Um, That's true. But I get also in the commentary, he's like, "Yeah, I've never shot action. I don't know how to do coverage." And I realized afterwards that this was kind of sloppy, but I found it funnier that way. Because yeah, <laughs> you could just yeah. see them slip sliding around in the mud, and it's just the worst <laughs> attempt to storm the yeah. beach in the world. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. And, uh, you know, they're charging this beach. And uh, at one point they split into two different directions. And uh, Steve puts Klaus on B squad. He's the head of B squad. And then Klaus gets really upset. He like starts crying. (laughs) 
end. And he's like, I'm sick of being on B squad. I'm always on B squad. I want to be on a squad. Uh, and you know, Steve, Steve and Klaus kind of have this heart to heart moment where he's like, listen, Klaus, uh, you know, Esteban and I always thought of you as our little brother or something. And Klaus looks up to him. And it's like, I've always thought of you two as my dad's. <laughs> Klaus, who's basically the same age as Steve, and it's just so awkward that he wants this this whole time. Yes, but. it's it's so great. Uh, and so, you know, he's still on B-Squad, but he is the leader of B-Squad, mm-hmm. and he kind of takes that and accepts it. Uh, and then Steve falls down the stairs. <laughs> yeah. He just, like, kind of slips and falls and falls down a bunch of them. And then, like, at the like Owen Wilson comes up to him and is like, oh, Steve, are you okay? And then he, like, kind of looks up and is like, I think Papa Steve might work yeah. if you want to call me something. <laughs> you know, it's, you know, like incrementally, Steve Zizu is becoming a slightly better person as as the movie goes yeah. on, you know? <laughs> I love the, the detail that he's got a spear gun and everyone else has regular yeah. guns. I don't think he ever uses the spear <laughs> yeah, gun. I don't think he does. that uh, kid with it until the Bond stooge yeah. says, oh, wait, no, that man helps me. <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so then they actually find Bill. They find Bill, the Bond Company stooge, in like this kind of closet area. And then the dog Cody is with them, and he finds the pirates. Uh, which, by the way, right. it's a three-legged dog, by the way. I forgot to mention that. Uh, it's a three-legged dog, yeah. Cody. He finds the pirates, and they open the door to see all the pirates sitting at a table with Goldblum playing cards. <laughs> and and, Gold, <laughs> and Goldblum's like playing cards with them, and he looks up, and he sees the entire Life Aquatic crew, and he's like, Steve? You came to rescue me? And then the pirates shoot Goldblum and he falls backwards. <laughs> yeah. I was like shocked. I thought that I was like, oh my God, is this going to be another like Goldblum death? I didn't remember this moment at all. And like <laughs> from my rewatch, you know? Yeah. And I was like, I was not expecting this to be a movie that we get another Goldblum death. Um, and then, of course, it's not. But that scene, that that like sequence is so fucking funny. He's like, are you rescuing me? I fold. Yeah. And he slams the cards down <laughs> on the table and just immediately gets shot. Oh, man. So good. Yeah, he gets shot immediately. He falls backwards. And then there's a big gunfight, which happens off screen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, you don't see anything that happens in the gunfight, which is weird because there were, you saw the big gunfight before with Steve uh, laying waste those people on the ship. Uh, but this yeah. time it's all off screen. Uh, while Klaus and Ned are outside of it and they use dynamite to blow the whole place up. And <laughs> the next shot right. is all of them running away. Goldblum is still alive and he's like holding his bullet wound like on his side, <laughs> uh, which is great. And they steal a fishing boat. They like find a fishing boat and on the fishing boat is Steve's vault. And they're like, oh man, yes, we found the vault. And they like take a minute to open the vault and see what's inside, see if anything's left. And then they open it and there's nothing inside. And there's also a big hole in the back of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Uh-huh. So good. Uh, so they, they you know, there's a big hole in Steve's vault. There's nothing left. And then they start, uh, you know, getting getting away. They are taking the boat and getting out of there. And then they discover they left Cody. They left the dog. Uh, and Steve they forgot their dog. You they idiots. forgot the dog. <laughs> and Steve says, we have to go back. And then everybody just kind of stares at him. And he just kind of like stops and like looks back and says, goodbye, Cody. And then the, <laughs> they leave. <laughs> Poor Cody, man. Poor Cody. Poor, poor. Like I get suspect anytime there's an animal in a Wes Anderson movie. Like for the, you know for this specific bad yeah. to happen. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, but yeah. So at this point, Bill Murray's like ready to call it quits. He's ready to call the movie off and just get done with it. But Ned insists, no, the movie must keep going. We we must persist with the movie and all that stuff. He was like, we get, I've got two hundred seventy five thousand dollars riding on this, Steve. We got to make it happen. Uh, and, you know, he sees that he has a letter from Jane and you don't see what's in the letter, but they have like this kind of moment of understanding and they wave at each other from across the boat, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And then yeah. Steve reveals to Ned that he actually still has Ned's fan letter. And this is when uh, I was thinking of the like, 
oh, this is the thing from the SNL <laughs> sketch when they read the letters, <laughs> the Midnight Cotier. Right. Thing. Yes. Uh, and he does. And uh, I really liked, uh, you know, the, you know, when you when you see the first uh, letter, like the first thing you say is like, first of all, an answer to your question always. But they don't say what the question is. They don't say what he's responding to. And then you get to this letter. And at the end of the at the end of the letter, he's like, by the way, do you ever wish you could breathe underwater? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Yeah. And always. And then when they finish the and then when you finish reading this letter, uh, you know, Owen Wilson and Bill Bill Murray like have that conversation. It's like, man, don't you wish you could breathe under water? It's like, yeah, oh, man, every day. I wish like all the time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which is a pretty great uh character moment. So they he realizes that uh, you know, he Steve did care in his own way, sort of, because he still had this fan letter from his son that he was holding on to for so long, and then their helicopter crashes. Uh, the helicopter crashes and uh, the way they depict that too, the camera just like flashes red a couple of times uh, and then they're yeah. in the water. <laughs> I loved, I love that. The, I love the way Owen Wilson says, Whirly bird uh, in his Southern <laughs> accent. Bird, yeah. Oh, bird. It's so good. Yes. Uh, yes. But unfortunately Ned dies here. Ned, Ned dies uh, yeah. in this scene uh, after the helicopter crash. Uh, so, you know, they, they finally get to this moment where they kind of connect as father and son and then Ned dies. Yeah. Well, because we get a little bit of build, because when he looks through the safe a few minutes earlier, he's like, oh, I'm, I need to find Ned's inheritance. And then he opens it and there's no money, but then Ned's face is through it. So it's like you feel like he's finally getting to him. And then you get yeah. the letters yeah. and then he's like, all right, you're my son. And then immediately fucking dead. Um, which <laughs> Apparently, I guess Jacques Cousteau's son also died in a plane crash. It was not in a helicopter searching for a jaguar shark, but... I don't know. Right. In many of the ways that they just took directly from Jacques Cousteau's wife, whose name, wife, life, whose name they also bleeped out every single time they said it on the commentary, even though I think even in the movie they say Jacques Cousteau. They do. So they do mention him at least once or twice. Yeah. But I don't know. Also, the whole commentary track is recorded at the restaurant where they wrote the movie. So the entire time you're hearing people talking and glasses falling. And at one point they pause because someone knocked something over. So it's it's probably wow. the, it's the most informative commentary commentary in the world, but it's in the worst possible location where you're just hearing so much background noise. <laughs> but that's also a like decidedly Wes Anderson thing to do. It feels yeah, <laughs> it feels yeah. like uh, which makes sense. I got to check out that commentary because uh, I, I I do have the Criterion Blu-ray and I was uh, like just kind of going through some of those features. I didn't get to watch any, um, but they looked they're, they they're pretty expansive. They look really good. So. Yeah, that uh, and yeah. Uh, just one quick thing about Jeff Goldblum, because I guess this is his podcast after all. This is Jeff Goldblum podcast. When, Any and all Goldblum facts are welcome. When they rescue him, he's wearing an I'm a Pepper shirt in the Dr. Pepper font. <laughs> yeah. Apparently the stunt coordinator for Bottle Rocket, who is the first person to teach Wes Anderson and Owen Wilson how to shoot a gun, was wearing an I'm a Pepper t-shirt. They wanted to put him in the movie, but they couldn't license the Dr. Pepper font. So they held on to this shirt design for like 15 years until they could finally get the money to finance it. And they put Jeff Goldblum in it. So it was just a ludicrous little like homage to their stunt coordinator guy who was just like, oh, wow. I'll teach you guys how to do all this stuff. So there's your Jeff Goldblum nugget. That is incredible. That's yeah. that's an awesome I thing. Like it's it. it's an incredible commitment to spending a studio's money yeah. <laughs> on something that is decidedly just for yourself and no one else. <laughs> on an already very expensive movie that did not make its money back. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so that's great. So they they bury Ned at sea. 
you know, they have an actual like sincere version of the scene they are about to have with the pirate earlier in the movie. And uh, they bury him at sea. And there's this like really beautiful shot where, uh, you know, they send Ned into the ocean and uh, his coffin kind of submerges while Eleanor watches through the submarine window. Uh, and it's you know, just this like cartoon submarine that she that she's in like a cardboard thing. And you can just see like Angelica Houston's face like popping through the window and just kind of watching it sad. And it's great. Just, the aesthetic of this movie yeah. is so is so unique and so different. You know, well, it's like the life they yeah. could have had, like if they ever had kids themselves, like just right. finally seeing Owen Wilson, who I guess she is already finally OK with similar to Steve. And then he's just gone. Yeah, I mean, they're 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 the time they meet at the like on the boat party in the beginning of the movie. And she, you know, Steve is just explaining the situation to Angelica Houston. And she's like, okay, I guess you can bring them over. Yeah. <laughs> but Owen Wilson's already there. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's like, woof. Um, that's like what they start with. And here we are. And we get to see that, you know, as his casket sinks, the flag that he designed with all the different people on it. Now, uh, like the, Z- the Zizu society flag that Ned made. Yeah. Like, oh, man, a little, little tearjerker. Yeah, Klaus got bit, his sure. name right next to the dolphins, which is that means a lot yeah. to him. I just want you to know that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Absolutely. I didn't just like yeah. it. <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. It was yeah. great. Uh, yeah. And Kla- Klaus, especially like he was, you know, kind of um, antagonistic towards Ned for a lot of the movie, too. And then, you know, kind of comes around to Adam towards the end. Also, a quick mention that during the big breakout, like break out of Goldblum, get back onto the boat scene, uh, Klaus gets promoted to a squad uh, after after his whole outburst. Uh, and he is. I so love thrilled. The, that moment, too, because I don't I don't know if it's like it or be reading too much into it. But right, they're in this they're in the middle of a gunfight and they're all behind cover. Except Klaus is in front of the thing they're you know, like taking cover behind <laughs> when he promotes him to, the, to the, like Klaus, your team A. Uh, it's just like, yeah. wait a second, <laughs> he's the only one in front of the thing. I don't know. Yeah, a funny little detail. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, so they bury Ned at sea, uh, and then there's the uh, scene where Goldblum. We talked about this already, where he's like kind of in the ship now, and he sees that they have all all, all of his shit, and he's like, "How did you get my espresso machine?" And Bill has probably the best line reading in the entire movie, actually, when he's like. We fucking stole it, man. <laughs> like, it's yeah. so good. His hair's all crazy and everything. <laughs> yeah. He's sipping out of the espresso. He likes sipping a coffee from the espresso machine they stole. It's it's great. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that that's awesome. And then, uh, you know, Goldblum starts walking through and he has that heart to heart with Steve where he reveals that he's part gay. And Steve says, well, supposedly everyone is. And they hug. Uh, and then uh, you find out that Jane's article is going to be the cover story, uh, which, you know, she was like not even sure if it was going to be published. Uh <laughs> for a while like everyone's gonna be like in the back of the magazine or whatever because who cares about steve zizu but it actually made the cover uh so that's an exciting thing and then they finally get a location on the jaguar shark get they figure that out they see it on the sonar and uh bill murray's like anyone want to take a ride and they everybody in the entire ship gathers into this very tiny submarine (laughs) to Mm -hmm. see the jaguar shark so it's the entire cast of the movie minus owen wilson of course because his character died uh, and you know, they're all just kind of going on this journey to find the Jaguar shark and Goldblum has a great moment here too, where he looks at the window and he sees one of the turtles from his boat that sank, uh, which kind of right. functioned in the same way as like the dolphins on this ship with mm-hmm. the camera. <laughs> and he sees that one of his turtles survived and he's like, wow, it made it. Like it, it, one of my turtles made it. That's incredible. Like he's having this like moment Life of awe. finds a way. <laughs> God damn it. But yes, that, <laughs> that is basically yeah. that like, you know, genuine, like, you know, emotional realization that he has right there. Uh, which is pretty great. And then they get to the Jaguar shark. They see it. Steve doesn't try to fight it or anything. They just look at it and uh, it completely like overwhelms them with how beautiful the shark is. 
Uh, you know, it's this like big yellow rainbow shark thing going on. Uh, and then Bill Murray has this like heartbreaking line uh, where he like is looking at the shark and he's talking about Esteban and he says, I wonder if it remembers me. And he starts to like tear up. And then the entire cast like does a big group hug in the submarine. <laughs> yeah. Very touching. Yeah. I mean, this, yeah, this whole moment is like beautiful too. Like with all the other fake, uh, you know, the claymation creatures and stuff around the submarine as they're like going down into the trench. And then there's uh the, the like, Oh, I forget the, like the fluorescent, whatever trout or some shit. I forget what they actually are that like are always around the Jaguar shark. Uh, like they kind of, the whole school of them swims around the submarine first. Yep. And it's just this like little, little moment. Where we're going to like pause a little bit. Like, I mean, kind of this whole moment where it's just like, let's appreciate the beauty of everything around us. Uh, and then even the beauty of the, gigantic terrifying jaguar shark which isn't really so scary i guess right exactly. did you see that little blinking light for a while coming towards the yeah the sub until you till it gets into the light it's like oh man yeah. he's finally brought yeah. back to some perspective he's not just there to kill it anymore he can he sees why he's done this all in the first place exactly exactly yeah kind of give, it gives purpose to uh this entire adventure and this voyage and really his entire body of work mm-hmm. uh up to this point uh, and so after this scene, uh, they have the premiere of the new movie, uh, The Jaguar Shark Part 2. And uh, this one goes over a lot better, it seems like. Uh, I mean, you don't actually even really get to see the audience's reaction to it. Um, you just see the uh, the movie playing. And then outside of the theater um, is Bill Murray and Werner, uh, Klaus's nephew. And uh, they're kind of sitting right. on the steps. And, uh, you know, Steve actually gives Werner uh, Ned's Zizu ring from his, like, fan society club. And he, like, hands it to him and he says this is an adventure. And he like realizes that life can be an adventure and not just, you know, whatever's on the ocean floor. Like, you know, it, whatever's like around him in his actual life, he can, can be an adventure. And then he like puts Werner on his shoulders and then like people start gathering around them. It's like the paparazzi and stuff and queen bitch by David Bowie kicks in and you move into the big walk and it rules. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's- I think, I think somebody, I think the theater doors open and you hear like the thunderous applause as they, before they walk. I away. think you're right. Yeah. So, yeah, but then, but that's all you really get. It's just like a moment of that, right? And then they do the, the end credit walk. <laughs> yes, uh, and so yeah, he has got like Werner on his shoulders, and he's walking through, and you know he's walking down the entire like red carpet thing, and then they get to the pier, and uh, when they get to the pier, like you know the rest of the cast starts joining in. Willem Dafoe is the first one to jump in, and uh, he just he seems so excited to be in the walk too. Like when he enters, he's like get, doing like, a fist pump thing, like yeah, well, he's an <laughs> he squad did it, now. yeah. He's an A squad, That's of right. course. And Jeff Goldblum joins in, and Angelica Houston joins in, and she like grabs Bill Murray's arm and all that kind of stuff. And it's really great. Uh, and you know, Queen Bitch is inc- an incredible song to play over this end credits sequence. Uh, and then you know, they're walking down the pier, and they kind of move and move until eventually they reach uh, the Belafonte, and they all get onto the boat. Uh, and then it transitions into uh, Sway George uh, continuing the end credits uh, with a Portuguese version of Queen Bitch, uh, because of course it does. <laughs> How could it not? Yeah. You know. <laughs> Uh, and that is Life Aquatic with Steve Zizu, guys. We did it. We did it. Huzzah. We made it. This yes. was an adventure. This, this was an adventure. I wonder if they'll remember us for doing this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the Life Aquatic was the friends we made along the there way. There we go. <laughs> um, so uh, any final thoughts on Life Aquatic, guys? Nick, uh, you, of course, were a guest in this podcast. So you yeah, any thoughts you want to get out there for Life Aquatic that you might not be able to get out uh, after you get off the uh, get off of here? Um. 
I don't know. I feel like I just I really like what this movie has to say about just like the art of movie making in general, because that's what it feels like. It's a big metaphor for and just like Steve's journey from seeing like all this superficial stuff and like really fabricating his own life to like finally being comfortable with himself in the end and realizing like the the family we made along the way. Like, I don't know. It's it's a it's a little <laughs> bit sappy, but it's it's I don't know. If I can be sincere for a few seconds, it does it's very heart wrenching. And yeah, that beautiful little scene inside the sub gets me every single time. And that's a testament to Bill Murray's just great acting. So um, Yeah, I absolutely. Mike Nice. Mike D, any final yeah. thoughts on Life Aquatic? Um yeah, I'm glad I got to rewatch it. I don't know if this would be one I would have like thought to go back to a whole lot. Uh, just like in the Anderson oeuvre, you know, um, I don't know. Um, so I've definitely got a newfound appreciation for that. Uh, and I'm definitely excited to, to see more of the Goldblum Anderson collaborations and, and just get into this, this kind of, uh, we're Goldblum's already been in the, like, isn't it wacky that I'm Jeff Goldblum phase for a couple of movies now. Um, but I'm excited to just like fully embrace that, <laughs> uh, for the rest of the podcast, basically. Absolutely. And, uh, yeah, I'm really glad I got to rewatch life aquatic. Cause like I said, I enjoyed it when I first saw it a couple of years ago. Um, but this viewing was like, oh man, this, this might be like a top three Wes Anderson for me. Uh, I mean, I think finesse, Mr. Fox is my number one and that's probably not going to change anytime soon, but it's like that moonrise kingdom and maybe life aquatic. Uh, I mean, Royal Tenenbaums is high up there, too, and Rushmore Rules, and who could forget Grand Budapest? Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> They're all tied for top Exactly, three. Yeah, they're all such good movies. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm really excited to rewatch Grand Budapest, too, uh, for this podcast, yeah. because it's been a long time since I've seen that. Like, I saw it, uh, I think, twice in theaters, and then, like, once, like, on at, in home around that same time, and, like, that's been, like, it's been, like, six years since I've watched Grand Budapest Hotel, so I am due for rewatching that one. And I'm also excited to rewatch Isle of Dogs, because that's, I saw that in theaters once, and that's it. Uh, and that's a movie I was really excited for because it was Wes Anderson returning to stop motion after Fast Mr. Fox, which is my favorite. Uh, and Isle of Dogs is one that I thought was like pretty good. I enjoyed it, but I wasn't like, you know, over the moon about it. So I'm curious to see like how it plays for me now uh, going into it. But uh, we will get to that one eventually. Uh, and we do we do have a few letterbox reviews to get into, Mike. Uh, I did kind of keep it light on those this time because I figured this episode might go a little long, uh, which it did. <laughs> So, uh, <laughs> we're approaching the runtime of the movie. Exactly. So I got some letterbox reviews uh, for The Life Aquatic with Steve's as you hear. Uh, here's a four star review from the Poetic Critic, uh, which reads Old Fool and the Sea, Pirates, Pooches, Parenthood, Daffy, and Drifting. Got a, uh, yeah. a haiku going on right there for Life Aquatic. I like it. Yeah, pretty good. Uh, here's a four star review from Brat, which reads. How the fuck did Wesley Wales Anderson get me to love this movie about a sexist, homophobic, overall awful man so much that I have watched it six times so far? I'm getting property of Wes Anderson tattooed on my ass. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think is the, re- the reaction he was going for with Life Aquatic, right? I mean, that's, <laughs> I think so, yeah. that's how it is. Uh, a four star review from Maria here. Uh, if a movie contains a Brazilian man singing his own covers of David Bowie songs whilst wearing a red beanie and also being directed by my main bitch, Wes Anderson, uh, <laughs> it gets an automatic four stars rating for me. <laughs> That's how it works. That all tracks. Yes. Uh, here's a four star review from Amaya. Willem Dafoe in short pants and a red beanie running around and scolding people with a bad German accent is what I call a good creative decision. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, finally, here's a four and a half star review from Silent Dawn. This one's a little bit longer. 
Uh, Wes Anderson's The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou is perfect in its own zany, messy, and crazily melancholic way. A deliriously goofy homage to the works of Jacques Cousteau slowly blossoms into a truthful and sincere examination of personal crises and their ramifications on others, all while providing a daring and colorful adventure to delight in. Every frame reveals a new U-turn or side street, yanking the audience around so much it'll give whiplash to any attentive eye. This is all perfectly welcome, of course, as the combination of the amazing cast, vibrant cinematography, ravishing soundtrack, and the constant burst of emotional honesty and side-aching laughs culminates in Wes Anderson's finest work to date. The film is endlessly quotable, rewatchable, and entertaining in just about every aspect I'll forever be on Team Zizou. Oh, and Jeff Goldblum hits a three-legged dog in this masterpiece. <laughs> go, ahead and lab- <laughs> go ahead and label me heartless, but I will never get tired of that moment. Never. <laughs> Weird hill yeah. to die on, but okay. Yeah, definitely an odd one, but there you go. Uh, all right, so that is The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Nick, thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited that you were able to join us for Life Aquatic after you had requested to do it many months ago on Mike and Mike Go to the Movies. Uh, we finally got you on this one. So uh, where can we find you online this week? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Downey Plus Ultra. And on Letterbox, still got, still it, got it, never giving it up. <laughs> Eat your heart out, Tide or whoever. I don't know who owns it, but I don't know. They I assume Downey. Out to me. Hey, <laughs> there's probably some parent company, Unilever. I don't know. Um, yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's Viacom, actually. Yeah. Viacom oh, owns Downey. <laughs> I think Disney owns them. Uh, yeah. And Touchstone. Um, and you can find me on Letterboxd at, I think it's just Wormuth. So W-E-R-M-U-T-H. Um, nice. yeah. And I will say, if you do watch, well, when you do watch Grand Budapest, the Criterion version, Jeff Goldblum is on the commentary track. And he is Whoa. very clearly does not understand how commentary tracks work because he doesn't, he barely talks about the movies, just telling his own stories and they kind of let him do it. And it's great. That sounds correct. Yeah. That sounds like a thing that <laughs> that would absolutely happen. Uh, yeah, fuck. I got to get the Grand Budapest Blue right now. <laughs> got to upgrade gotta the criteria. Got to wait till uh, November. When do they do their other Barnes & Noble sale? Ooh, You'll get yes. it. Yeah, good point. Good point, Mike. Uh, all right, Mike, where can we find you online this week? You can find me at MD Film Blog on Twitter and Letterboxd. And if you'd like to donate to support the show, you can do that on our Ko-fi page which is ko-fi.com slash Mike and Mike pods, uh, plural, because we have two podcasts. Yes, we do. And you can find me online at uh, M Smith, M Smith film blog on Twitter, Mike Smith film letterbox and radio Mike sandwich and Instagram. Uh, thanks for listening to the complete works. I'm Mike Smith. That's my decree show. And that of course is Nick Wormuth. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple podcasts or any other podcast app. And if you want to contact us, uh, you can hit us up on Twitter at Goldblum pod. You can find the rest of our podcast on rapture press alongside many other podcasts about comic books and movie news and all that good stuff. Our theme song was created by Kyle Cullen, who you can reach for your own podcast themes at Kyle's podcast themes at gmail.com. And our logo was designed by Jacob Honeycuts or at Jacob Honey on Twitter. And we want to thank our social media advisor, Daniel Clark, as well. Uh, so you can join us on the next complete works. We are talking a movie that premiered at a festival in 2003, did not get its release until two full years later. It is the directorial debut of Scott Kahn. Uh, Dallas 362. Uh, Nick, you ever seen this movie? I don't know what you're talking about. I know Scott Kahn. <laughs> well, he made a movie okay. back in the day. 
and uh, yeah, and we will wrote be, and directed. Yes, uh, not not an easy movie to get a hold of right now. Not uh, easily available on any streaming services or anything like that. But uh, you can find it through uh, extra legal means. I believe there's also like an out of print DVD that uh, you can get through the Netflix disc plan if you are one of the people like me who still have a Netflix disc plan. <laughs> Lucky you. Uh, yeah, but uh, <laughs> there you go. So that's Dallas 362. That'll be the movie we're talking about next week. And uh, this week, for Mike Mike Go to the Movies, we are off because I am in Chicago. So uh, we'll, be t- <laughs> we'll be taking that one off. Uh, but uh, Mike D will be back in the next week with a bonus episode, right, Mike? Or well, we're going to be trying to do that? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll, I'll figure it yeah. out. Nick, if you want to be the guest, you know, go, <laughs> go for yeah. it. All right. <laughs> yeah, DM me. Okay. Uh, all right, that's going to be it for this week's episode. Nick, once again, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to of course. be in this life aquatic with all of you. <laughs> I like that. Uh, should we like play queen bitch as we, uh, should we like all, <laughs> should we all like get up from our computers and like take our headphones off and start like walking around our houses to, <laughs> to replicate the ending that's of life aquatic podcast. as we wrap up yeah. this podcast? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can say that that's what yeah. we're doing. We've done yeah, that. Yeah. That happened. Here we go. Yeah. We're doing it now. Yeah. All right. Thanks so much for listening guys. And remember to go for the gold bloom. <laughs>